0: Podcast. I don't know why I emphasized the A,
1: but I did. Hey everybody, tonal, we're back! Tonal observations, like what we do regularly. Yeah. And what we will be doing <laughs> later. Which includes Total. regularly, I guess. What? <laughs> Falls under the umbrella of regularly today. <laughs> oh,
2: okay. Yeah, <laughs> I,
0: I now understand the reference you were making. <laughs> I do hear the words that you are speaking, Steve, and understand them. That's always good same <laughs> on a podcast at all. That, that, that is true. It's very true facts. What is with you today? <laughs> I don't know. What do you take? <laughs>
1: all the things. All of the things. All right.
0: Um, so I just want to say at the top of the show really quick, um, some big announcements. Uh, obviously, you've noticed there's been an outpouring of content. I've been very grateful that uh website that we've partnered with, Broken Records Magazine, has given me the opportunity to promote us on their side a little bit. And um, feature articles that were originally published on their site on our site as well, as long as we cross promote. Um, an interplay going on. Yep. So yeah. I recently published an article uh, over the weekend, the last weekend, of uh, about Powerman Five Thousand. Um, as you guys know, if you've heard the new podcast, Autographs, that I interviewed um, Powerman Five Thousand frontman Spider One. Um, this was an article I wrote based on that interview for the other site because they don't feature RDO podcasts. Just discussing, you know, what we talked about a little bit, and also my opinions on their new record, on, um, you know, a little bit about the band, and how they've influenced me, and what they're working on now, like Rob Zombie's big horror show thing that he does now out in the Midwest. Um, And it was, you know, I enjoyed writing it, I enjoyed speaking to Spider, which if you
1: heard the podcast, you're well aware of. Um, And you have a new episode out now. Or at least as of by the today, time this is up by the time you can you're go listen- out and check autographs episode two. Yes, by now
0: you, if you're listening to this on Thursday when it drops, um, you can hear autographs episode two, where I interviewed Tribe One, one one of the members of Malibu Shark Attack, and also a nerdcore rapper in his own right, um, who gave us permission to use Yo into New York as a track. Um, we talk about his career, his nerdiness. We get on a video game and Magic the Gathering tangent. We talk about. Touring overseas, well, you, you well, he's also a nerd as, as too. Such. I oh, believe. Okay, so I believe
2: he would. I believe yeah. the correct thing to say is like you do.
1: No, I'm, I'm sticking with it.
2: he would. You, you would.
0: Yeah. So definitely go check that out, it's share it around, too, and I though. appreciate it. Um, also, yeah. I want to bring up officially announcing on the podcast our guest for uh, the month of August. Technically, Galatea was supposed to be our guest for the month of July, but we had some complications, so she was featured the first week of August. But our actual August. Guest will be Molly of the Wasties, joined by Alex of the Wasties as well. But we're going to be talking about Molly's solo career, um, following in the footsteps of her folk singer mom, um, Donna, and uh, how what it's like to have her own folk album and folk career. Working with her mother's band, Um, she'll bring us some. She'll either play songs live or bring some with her. I'm I'm pretty sure she's going to play live for us. Um, and also, I'm unsure what album she's bringing yet, but I'm
1: excited to have another wastey on solo, or pseudo-solo, since Alex will probably be playing instruments with her. Th- will they, will we then have had all of them? No, we will not have had Robert separately. Yes, Robert has not right. yet been on separately, though I have and he been... could be on as, like, three different bands, right?
0: He, technically, and... um, well, I mean, the, the... The band he's the main vocalist for is... He's, Rose, the Rose West. Is the Rose West. And I've actually heard him play Rose West songs on acoustic guitar, and they sound really great. So I'm going to ask him to do that when he does finally come on. But well, he's uh, still part of a lot of other things. He's part of a lot of other things. And working on a new band as well, too, I think. Though I don't have a
2: lot of details on that, so I won't speak out of... Instead of wearing many hats, would it be wearing many straps, as in strapping instruments to oneself... I suppose so, yeah.
1: Well, it depends if your instrument is the kind that, that needs to be strapped. They all are. Well, anything, no, anything. Well, his be... clarinet, he doesn't strap. But his saxophone, he does. I don't believe people strap violins. He doesn't play a violin. But, I mean, if. I oh, mean, wow. It's, it, other instruments. Total non sequitur. Well, sort of sequitur.
0: Um, also, another blame thing... John.
1: Blame John. Let's Blame John.
0: Another thing I want to give a shout-out to Painless Parker, who I saw perform in the uh, Grand Army Plaza Green Market in Brooklyn over the weekend. Um, it's always a pleasure to see him perform. and his mandolin, his mandolin work has a very strong presence, even when he's playing by himself. Not plugged in, just out in public. It was great. Um, there's this interesting thing that happens when bands busk at the, at the green market. Parents like to play the game of give the child a dollar. No matter what band it is busking... If there's a hat out or somewhere to put a dollar. Parents love giving their child a dollar, and then they toddle up to the thing and put the dollar in, and then clap and dance. It's it's cute and very funny. Can we describe busk? So busking is the Layman. <laughs> what busking is is when you're a musician or a performer, if you're a performer of any kind, and you work based on tips. You collect tips performing out in the world, like Grand Army Plaza. There's a um, a market every Saturday. Um, and so, no, um, Painless has a habit of playing out there to, to collect tips and sell CDs and sell buttons and, um... Buttons? Yeah, yeah, Painless Parker Buttons. That, that is the quaintest thing. The Wasties have buttons, too. It's not
2: quaint. It's quaint. quaint. A lot of bands have buttons. It's pretty common. In fact, that's usually one of the first pieces of merchandise you come up with. Because they're cheap to make.
1: Yep. Oh, you mean like the with the little needle through the like, back? Yes, pins, buttons. Pins, of... but... pins. No, i think thinking like like an old school button, like an 1890s button. Like button, button, who's got the button that you sew no. you know, into your sweater. know no, that. this but I meant buttons. I'm
2: calling you out on this. No, you're you're thinking too old man-like right now. That's true. All right. Yeah. But anyway, yeah.
0: back to the point. Yeah, yeah. It was a pleasure to watch you perform Painless, and uh, I'm excited to... We chatted a bit about him coming back on the podcast early next year. Which is exciting because it was a pleasure to have him on the first time, um, and he's been working on some new stuff. But I suppose now it's time to get into this week's record.
1: Don't I've sound it so happy.
0: I've put it off long enough. Um,
1: <laughs> this week's you tw- guys have given away so much in the beginning with your. T- we got to work on our uh, on our on our poker face. I think in the beginning here. I don't want Lady oh, Gaga oh, on the poker on the, face. On the podcast. Poker face. Oh, slide past that. Slide past that comment. Just anyway, um, I don't know. Host. I, I can.
2: I can I can use that to insult you so rethink that one. Uh, this week we have coasting? No, sliding. Never mind. We're it's moving on.
1: Me or him? Doesn't
2: matter. I don't know.
1: This
0: week's album is the latest from Judith Priest, Redeemer of Souls. Um, it just came out I think a month or two ago. Um Judas Priest has been around a very long time. Um, They're one of the most well-known metal bands up there with Megadeth and Metallica and Black Sabbath. They're of that era. They're one of the biggies. Of the late 70s, early 80s to now. um, One of my fondest moments of Judas Priest is actually the insane-to-play song Painkiller on Rock Band. I believe it was the out-of-box original Rock Band had that song, um, which which was, had the ridiculous drum solo that was impossible to play, um, but it was a lot of fun to try
1: and figure out. I feel like a good sister episode for this podcast, just as a, uh, as, a, as, a little, as a little preview here, might be episode 58, the Black Sabbath episode, in which we reviewed 13, which was their comeback album. But see, the difference here is that Judas Priest has been around. Have yeah. they ever had in a hiatus where not, they weren't making albums? Not some, Aside from like a typical band hiatus yes. that is just like a gap.
2: Yes, a very, well, yeah, a very short one in the early 90s to mid-90s, like a five-year Rob, five year Rob break, Halford break released some solo stuff as well. I think he still does that.
0: Rob Halford, of course, is the lead singer of Judas Priest. But nothing worthy of note, there was never any official breakup.
1: No. They've just been a constant entity.
0: Yes, they've had different band members as far as I know. I'm, I'm not sure how many of the original band members are in it besides Rob Halford, but I do know that they have rotated some band members.
2: About half a dozen have gone through in one
0: way or another. They first formed in 1969, actually, in Birmingham, England. Um, They've Uh been around from 69 to present. Um, Their their hiatus was in the uh, mid-90s, but it wasn't for very long. So they
1: really are contemporaries of Black Sabbath, which brings me back to my point. I think that would be an interesting pair, just for the curious listener, just to check out the Black Sabbath album, just to see what a contemporary of Judas Priest is doing, having laid down their instruments for so-and-so years, and then split, gone solo, done whatever they want separately, and then coming back to essentially pick up where they left off. This is actually their 17th studio release. Um and this is the uh, flip side to that comparison. Yep, it shows that... A band that they're, that's they're... continuously evolving, or at least existing.
0: Well, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, yeah, evolving, I mean, a lot of metal tropes abound in this record and in their career. That's not necessarily bad. I mean, Screaming with screaming for Vengeance is my favorite record, which came out in 82. It has a lot of the big hits, like Electric Eye, um, you know. But, but I was going to this album with a very positive attitude, because I... First of all, I love Rob Halford screaming. I love that this tall, very skinny white male can hit this huge range. His tenor is okay, but the the higher stuff
2: is really impressive to me. It's always been. It's also why there's a lot of comparisons between Judas Priest and Black Sabbath because they, uh, between him and Ozzy, I mean, they kind of epitomized what the early metal vocal work was going to be.
1: A lot of people... Uh, Which didn't people... end up necessarily true. It, it really did branch out pretty quickly after that. But it was it was the, uh, oh, a the distinct, foundation. F- a distinct feature of heavy metal. Yeah.
2: Also, being from the late 60s, kind of puts them ahead of the curve of a lot of what uh, we know as the core of heavy metal. They became... The, there's a reason why they are... Always mentioned alongside
1: Black Sabbath, they're sort of progenitors for this genre itself. Because before people even really thought of heavy metal as a thing, these people were pretty much already doing it. Yep. And they there's...
0: were. They were the breakaway from bands like Blush to Cult, who were around at the same
1: time, but were playing
0: a lighter side of metal.
1: Or Zeppelin. Yeah.
0: Or uh, that more end up becoming uh, Deep considered classic rock. Deep, Deep Purple. Purple.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I love. It. It's interesting to watch, like a like an early split in the uh, in the musical family tree, which sometimes people can kind of gloss over and be like, ah, they've been separate as long as they've existed. But they really did share some common ancestors there, and it's uh, right in that, that that uncanny little time period. Yeah. So um, let's check out and see what they're doing today.
0: So the first track is called Dragon Knot. Um, like Dreadnought,
2: but with dragon in the front. Dra- side, Actually, yeah. it's... Dragon Knot. Dragonaut. Actually, it's a Dragon Astronaut. No, it's not. Actually, yeah.
0: Lyrically, that's no, what no, the No, song no, no, as no. Well. that's
2: what the word fusion is. Uh, dragon astronaut. Dragonaut. Oh. Uh, okay. That's the best way to explain the word fusion. Lyrically, I'm not really
1: sure what this is. No, actually lyrically, <laughs> you're right. I don't believe it. I don't believe it. He's right.
2: That <laughs> happens once
1: in a while on a blue moon. Oh well, oh jeez.
2: A... Come on. We had a supermoon the other day. It's the effects of the supermoon. Um Dragonaut <laughs> itself starts with the ominous thunder intro. Okay, rant time before we even get into the song.
1: May I take this rant?
2: No, I'll give him this All one. All
1: right. Let, let me let it. me
0: at least get a few words out and then you can you can back me up. I'll tag you in. Okay. So, I like I'm a fan even as pointless they can be sometimes as of sound bites. I do like when bands throw in sound effects because I don't know, I, I in metal, it's kind of cheesy, but it's kind of empowering. For example, there's a band named Sonata Arctica who do a song called Peacemaker. And it's about this guy who's this righteous fury who, who feels he's right and has to correct everything. And the song starts with these heavy guitar riffs and an organ, and then the song cuts out, and you hear shotgun cock, and then the song kicks in. And it's glorious and cheesy and awesome. And I love that kind of stuff. At the beginning of this song, we have a storm, an actual into the storm kind of rainstorm, falling on the flats sound effect that cuts out, and then the song starts. There's no crossover, there's no relation, there's no explanation, there's no connection. It's just pointless. Steve?
1: <laughs> Okay, I think it behooves creativity to follow through with an idea and develop it, rather than change the channel on it, per se, like they did here. I have to make a reference almost immediately because it's the first thing that comes to mind when I hear an intro like this. Yes, it is a thunderstorm, and I immediately think of one of the more, uh, more enduring Doors tracks, as if there weren't enough already, Riders on the storm, That's a door song, you'll probably know it just as soon as you hear that opening thunderstorm. It's a light thunderstorm, too. It's probably the best example of such an intro in which you use a soundbite to an effect, and then the music itself was born out of that soundbite. It was born out of the storm. The whole lurking bass line, the little noir keyboard by uh, Ray Manzarek. I, I mean, this doesn't follow through at all. This essentially is, as I said, changing the channel. There's a mood that fits Riders in the Storm that I just don't see here, and I hate to make the direct comparison, but it's an appropriate comparison because, frankly, I think a lot of artists like to use the whole Storm thing because, of course, it, it really heavy-handedly paints your setting. It's like, ah, it's something dark, ah, it's something a little bit a little bit brooding, perhaps, or something ominous on the horizon. And, of course, your music should probably try and fulfill that. Now, I'm not saying that this necessarily doesn't, but that's the thing. The music that followed, the riff that followed, was just lots of power chords, lots of repeating. I mean, the one thing that really kept it moving, I think, was the accents. And that itself, to me, does not so much imply a specific brand of dark and ominous, as opposed to the generic stuff that comes out of this brand of metal that you just described. Yeah, it's lacking in a lot of the identity that Judas Priest was
2: well known for. It's, it seems to just hit power chords and heavy riffs. This is, as far as intro tracks go, because we always have to bring it back to this, this is just a love letter to the idea of of, of deepness in heavy metal. Uh, that was oppre- a deepness. Well no, the but... oppressive, heavy feel of metal. It's just a, a love letter to it. A very angry love letter,
1: like what you'd kinda come to expect. Well you could say love letter perhaps if they weren't actually living the role and have lived that role for their seventeen albums or so. I mean yeah, at
0: this point if you're in the role and you're writing a love letter, it's just cliche. You're you're self aggrandizing almost.
1: Yeah. And, and it, what it does show, though, is an ability to take yourself out of yourself and, and sort of, you know, see on the peripheral that what you're doing has, has somewhat been the same. And I, I don't want to be so, uh, so heavy-handed with this right up front here, because there is clearly talent there. There's a lot of stuff going on here, even within the first few bars, that you're thinking, okay, all right, they are on point. They know how to play their instruments. Everything is fairly mechanical. It's, it's so on and and yet at the same time there is what John said there's that lack of identity and that's the real problem because once you do seventeen albums it no longer is a question of whether you can play it's a question of, of whether you can um, inspire impress, inspire perhaps more than impress yeah it well it's also the thing is with this
0: song is it, it it's fulfilling a lot of metal cliches you know I mean I, I listen to Jesus Priest I want to hear metal and that's great but. I, I want to hear metal with something. And I mean, his, his vocals are on point like they always are. You know, he's, he can hit those notes that he always hit. You know, his vocal range more or less hasn't changed in, in 30 years, 40 years. but the, the, About 30, wait, no, 35 years. Actually, yeah. 35 years. Wow. So it's one of those things that, I mean... Cliche, I
2: dev- okay, cliche is the word that's going to be the word of the day because this is not the only issue here. We also have the problem with the lyrics. This is a song of just saying, I'm a badass, or the main character is a badass. This is a powerful, monstrous being as what you would come to expect in a heavy metal story. It's got lines like, it opens with, Welcome to my world of steel, master of my domain. Cower as the uh, pain's unsealed, disasters where I'll reign. Okay." You're painting a picture here, but you're basically using a lot of black and blue hues. There's there's really no variance from what I'd come to
1: expect from a standard metal palette. I mean, here's the thing. The lyrics themselves, I do believe, fit uh, the rainstorm intro in perhaps the vaguest of ways. My problem is, I think, also the more more of the musical development. Because of the fact, like I mentioned, you know, back in the doors, I like the fact that the music itself tried to kind of match that of what you'd find in a rainstorm, kind of mimicking the sounds that you'd hear during a rainstorm. But that's just not could be achieved with this this basic backdrop that they have of the forever slightly distorted um, guitar riffs. But I'd that's further- just not going to quite fit it. But I would further challenge that because Riders in the Storm or Riders on the Storm
0: had it, it the soundbite backed up the emotion of the song too. Oh, of course. And in this track, there's not even that. There's no emotion in this track
1: other than the generic metal heaviness. Well that brings me into another thing, because uh, obviously emotion is very tied to melody for me, because it is the narrative, it is the story, it should be the tell-all of what is of what is going on setting aside. The melody here once he starts singing, of course you know I'm very aware of his of his voice, I'm aware of what he can do. I found that there was a an effect on it that made it sound somewhat disconnected from from the main riff. It sounded like it was almost a separate int- entity as if maybe perhaps not so much effort was placed toward integrating it I would not I would not it's be more, it's more of a, on that more of a yet. vague observation. I would not be making comments on something like that yet. oh, well, i I know what you're referencing, but that's that's, Th- that's not in this case. I, I'm, I'm actually just saying as a... It's not about the sound quality of the voice. It's more about the way in which the melody was written. No, I... It's less in,
2: intrinsically a problem in this song as opposed to later stuff that comes up. I did notice that as well, but it's, it's a much bigger issue later on. Okay, I wouldn't, that's I wouldn't fair. complain it, it, about that yet. It,
1: it was one of my observations on a second listen, not a, not a first listen, to be fair. Um... There's a few other things to say here. I, I do have to be honest, there's not really much much offered to me in the first half of this track. It's energetic, and that's about all I can say for it, until the solo. That's something else we're going to be getting into quite a bit here, because this brand of music really kind of hoisted the solo on a pedestal. It's what you, most of the time, were waiting for. So actually, it should come as no surprise. This is absolute status quo right now. We're not really below the mark in terms of... uh Glossing over the verses and the choruses because they are never really supposed to impress as impress you as much as the solo does So the solo comes along and it was mostly centered around the four chord right on on the a most of this track was was an e and uh, This was a big moment just in terms of changing up the whole wall of sound feel that I was getting at this moment and spotlighting some of the detail having that one instrument hoisted up uh you know, as for everybody to see and see what it can do. Of course, that's what a lot of people go to Judas Priest for. And as I said, no one really disputes their instrumental abilities, but it was a little bit rambly. There was there was moments that intrigued me here and there, such as, for instance, after the masturbatory uh, first few seconds say first 30 seconds of this then it goes into a little moment where it's not just runs 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 up and down the scale but it kind of separates it into a very even uh, even eighth notes. I remember it was sort of um, it wasn't exactly a triad I believe the notes were like uh, I think it was something like BCG BCG and it was up. And down, up and down, and it was this sort of breather moment in the midst of all this chaos of the solo that I was kind of attracted to. I wanted them to explore this little melodic moment there, but even it ended up just kind of giving way back to the scale run.
0: It was completely fleeting. It was it was overwhelmingly masturbatory with that little moment of inspiration that passed us right by.
2: Well, the the big issue I have with a lot of metal solos, and this is why it's not one of my uh, uh, genres of choice is that when when the guitar really gets into an awesome riff and really starts playing around, which is what happened here it repeats itself we get two or three or four iterations of that same idea and then it changes and then you get three iterations, four iterations of the same idea that they came up with on the fly and then three or four more of the something it's just I
1: don't need well, that I do, repetition. I do want to be aware of casting an aspersion against uh, against metal itself. Just because yeah. we are not anti-metal here, I, I, I do find that to be somewhat of a problem, which is why I like the prog brand of metal a little bit more, because of the fact that it doesn't execute those repetitions as readily. It really does change it up over and over and over, in which case I have no issue with the backdrop, because I, they are always making the backdrop unique and reinventing it basically every 10 seconds. But unfortunately, that's, that's not really what this is. This is still a very, very rigid structure um, on top of a rigid backdrop, and that's something that's going to just kind of keep harping away at me for much of this album. Not all of it, to be fair. Not all of it. There are highlights? Oh, there's highlights. It, and actually, I'm I, I, but i I'm not quite done, uh, I don't want to say ripping apart, but m- maybe, maybe that's what it's... Uh, turning into at this moment. Just as far as an opening track is concerned, there's a lot of little... this is where I'm suddenly hit with the cliches, so I kind of have to have to reference them. Um, For instance, the post-solo transition is another thing that I really have to note here. Right after the solo, of course, it, it wants to move out of that and sort of bring itself back into the song. So it uses some of the same chords that you get from from the earlier bridge, that sort of extend out, they step away from the key areas a little bit into slightly more tense, even if a wholly familiar pattern. And I think that the solo, to be honest, it probably could have been developed a little further before they got into all this stuff, but whatever, this was their exit strategy. And I don't know, I wasn't really digging it, to be honest. Each power chord just kind of keeps on hammering out predictably at the beginning of each measure. And I have to say, chord-wise it was getting more diverse. It was moving the key areas around with sort of secondary dominance and things, and then it rings out a C-sharp major chord before suddenly throwing it back to E minor. And I found that kind of sloppy. There were any number of good opportunities in this, in this chordal progression, this little exit strategy here, to find home again. More interesting ways to find home again in that progression. But something about that one particular motion just felt very forced. C-sharp major back to E minor. it Like, kind of like the hand of God just stepped in there and then moved our character from one room into the next. And we're just supposed to gloss over that and say, oh, yeah, that was natural enough. That is a good piece of imagery to just throw on top of the lyrics as well.
2: That sloppy <laughs> nature, that kind of just uh, is juxtap- juxtaposition the word I want. Where they just gonna have to. They kind of just go from one thing to another.
1: Um, juxtaposition implies that it was that it was intentional, though, and this is I think it was exactly exa- what I described. Is it? It was. It is an exit strategy to get themselves back to home so they can repeat the uh, so the, see, the final verse and chorus. Kind of like the opposite of juxtaposition, because their lyrics are just doing the
2: same exact thing as that chords. You have that two-part or kind of like B section of the verse that leads into the chorus. First part is, Father of sin, I'll drag you all in. Bow down as I petrify. Not really sure what they're going with this. Why are they using the word petrify? There's no rhyming scheme here or anything like that. And that's the other part. The rhyming scheme kind of hurts it because then it leads right into, Fire in the sky, paralyzed with fear. You know you're going to die. Dragon knot is here. Is near. <laughs> oh, near, not here. They're not it's not here yet. It's near. <laughs> An elementary school kid could write this stuff. Like uh, this is this is as simple as rhymes can get.
1: I don't want to go that far with it, but it is very it, it it's very it's basic in terms of just trying to get the simple idea out. Like, they had, the, they had the basic outline for the story, and they didn't go too far beyond the outline itself. This is a place where it feels like the lyrics were tacked onto a song they'd already finished writing. It's just... It could very well have been the reverse, as well. I mean, this is that speculation game, which is usually impossible for us just, to know as an audience. The but way you know. these
0: lyrics are constructed, constructed, there's no direct connection to me to the verses particularly, like, to the music... I feel like either could have been written individually and kind of plucked and put together,
2: which we don't know for a fact. But it feels and that it's, way. And it's it just it's got that sloppy feel. I don't know how they they keep changing up from the the pacing in the verses to that bridge ish kind of piece into the choruses. The the just the way everything gets gets spouted out is just. It doesn't feel like they're actually trying to mesh it up to the music itself. It's just trying to mesh it up to the rhythm. They're focusing on the rhythm and getting the tempo down
1: as they're talking. I mean, yeah, this is kind of... It's a little bit circular, but it, it, I, I see that in in whichever way you want to see it. I believe that it is a case of trying to make something fit something else. And that was certainly what I noticed here in this little, this little exit motion back to the verse and chorus. I mean... Hell, if you don't like my uh, my hand of God analogy, then let's go with the metal analogy. It's also kind of like in that music video where you're where you're you're dancing with the devil in hell, and then suddenly they're just back in the dude's basement just playing their guitars. It's that kind of motion. It happened in the music <laughs> video. It's just and one scene they're in hell, the next scene they're in a basement, and and you're supposed to accept it. You know, no questions, no questions. It's it's a metal music video, and I feel like it's that kind of you know, don't ask questions, just accept it. That is part of the guise that they get to hide behind when they write a track like this. Because it's just so accepted now. But I personally am a little tired of it. That was a big groaner for me at the end of that track. Um, or in that in that uh, in that revisit to the version chorus. Yeah, and then the second half of the track, I mean, doesn't have anything unique to it. Well, that was not even the 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 second half of the track. At that point it was just one final version and chorus and we're done. Yeah. So Let's hit the title track next. Um, Redeemer
2: of Souls, which is track two. Uh, this this one is that
1: standard speed song for your second it's song. Well, predicta- based on the title track, I'm waiting for something big here. Obviously, it and it's uh, it's the the feel of the song is the
0: predictable hero song. This kind of valiant like metal god that's benevolent and going to rescue something i and don't d- know
1: that is somewhat reflected in the music to be fair we do get kind of a gallop motion here we get these these triplets on the second and the fourth beat so done dun, 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 dun. you know it's it's it does have motion to it but so you this... feel the hero in probably the most obvious <laughs> um definitely most obvious of ways yeah. but this is
2: where they always put the hero this is the the, the formula that they're that they're, they're showing here is that well here's your setting in track one Here's your hero in track two. There's no... There's no veil of mystery hiding this. It's very plainly stated. It's it's having your tracks set up to just give the barest of information here. Mm. The barest kind of a, a story being developed. Well, it's Cliff Notes. Well, yeah, and the lyrics yeah. reflect that Cliff Notes kind of storytelling.
0: I mean, the first first verse even is... Time to settle the score. He's loaded to feel their remorse... Steadfast, strong, that's for sure. The deal of his life takes its course. No giving in. They don't understand.
1: They don't get to give up and meet, to meet his demands. Could you even try to read that with any less life? It, well, it's, it's a series of taglines. It's random yeah. fucking
2: taglines. Just, now he's setting the tune. They know the stare down is soon. Vengeance comes at high noon redeemer of score of souls on the skyline the stranger draws near feel the heat and he's shaking with fear like okay random words random this is awesome this is awesome it's it's like it's like trying to fill out an okay cupid profile it's really <laughs> i like dogs long walks on the beach i'm sensitive i'm intelligent like it's really not telling me anything no i follow except you except it's... it's it's like it's what you do to develop a character, but it's not actually developing the character. It's a
1: list of pros and cons. It's it's nothing. I mean, you could say that it is honing on—I mean, I'm not trying this as a defense here, necessarily— but it's honing in on, on, sort of, imagery as the, uh... What's the word? It's their anchor, because I think it's all they have at this moment. But where are they you drawing recept- imagery from that first verse? Imagery, oh, imagery is a very light word, but it's all because all they can do here is simply explain what the scenario is. They oh. can just hone in on it, just, just, you know, it, it's exactly what you read. There's no holding him back, the ransom announces his deeds. And I, oh, I, I remember you noted that line before, the ransom announces his deeds doesn't even s- seem to make sense. He's not cutting you slack, just taking whatever he needs. Diamonds for eyes as he begins on that two-wheeler from hell on the wind. I mean... It is imagery. Let's not. Let's not. It's it's bad imagery, but <laughs> yeah. it's imagery. Okay. But that's and it's all, bad that's imagery. The thing. But that's all it is. It lacks plot, really. I think it's more just the fact that let's just let's pull that uh, that that um. <laughs> it's it's not a it's not a character
2: painting. It's a sticker book. It's just putting random things in there to make a composite. That can be done artfully, but here it's just it's just so bare bones,
1: so just satirically descriptive. I feel like... The Someone help me out. Who wrote White Fang? Call of the Wild. Uh, Jack London. Jack London. Beginning of White Fang was very much a lot of imagery. It was just for two pages setting the stage of how cold it is. And and let's, let's really get into this. How cold is it? It's kind of a joke. Somebody says it's cold. Well, how cold is it? And then he just goes on and on and on and on and on. I'm not putting down the book, necessarily. I think it's a great book, but it really lays it on thick, especially when you're trying to just convey something that is kind of thin, right? There's not really a lot going on here yet. You really haven't set the stage for a plot. So, let's just establish setting, and let's hammer it into the ground. That's really the only recourse that this song has right now. Same same principle. Yeah, but I mean, not, not only does
0: the the bad imagery failed to really engage you, but I can't even honestly remember
2: that much musically about this song. It's fast riff. Is it just That's another all, fast riff all it, speed it's song? It's a gallopy track. Um, it's supposed it, to try to add a little bit of tension to this description to make this character seem more like a badass,
1: but it doesn't really come across as that. There's a couple of breakdowns later that were interesting. First, we to get a breakdown in five, that's no big surprise, and then it just returns, another breakdown back in one. And it's just these alternating accents here. It does have a solo, again, not going to get into the same details as the last solo. It's short. It's impressive, but it's short. And I, to be honest, I was just... Give me more of that, because I was preferring that far more than I was the rest of this track. And and frankly, that solo is all this track had going for it. So you have a courtesy 15 seconds of soloing, and then it moves on. I mean, that doesn't even feel climactic. Even as much as that may be the climax, incidentally, it doesn't feel climactic. It feels like it was a pre-designated insert. I mean, 15 seconds, really. And you don't want Metal Tab for feel pre- predictable. That's a bad thing. You no, don't want th- no well here's the thing. Minute... Because when pre- when metal is predictable, it's really predictable. Right. Um, well, it's really metal. <laughs> I, I don't know. The only other thing I have to say about this track is the outro, where he predictably repeats the name of the title, "Redeemer of Souls," "Redeemer of Souls." So this is a. Tro- and it's just. Uh, it's, a- it's very tropey, and it comes up so many more times in the album. And
0: we'll point them out when it does. But it was just, it was, <laughs> there was no point. Like, I get emphasis for... Maybe rep-
1: by the 6th or 7th you'll get the idea.
0: I feel like repeating a, cor- a, ti- a title of a track over and over again in the song, if it serves an emotional purpose and there's a soul to the song, I get that. Repeat it 7, 8, 10 times. I don't care if there's an emotional response to it or a connection. But here it's just him saying it or singing
1: it over and over again with no inflection, distinction, or difference. To me, it almost rings of self-parody. To be honest, just because it it very clearly has no purpose. I the, mean, Redeemer of Salt, Redeemer of Cold. Soul. Salt. Yeah. This is our character essentially, right? Let's just let's just reiterate. This is our character. He's so badass. Just look at what he does. Just look at him. Look at him. Try to absorb it. I, like I don't want to. I really just want to go on the next track. But that's what that's what he's doing here, and I can only accept that as some form of self-parody because this track is clearly been done before by all too many metal artists and they are one of them and they have 17 albums which i'm sure has included something very similar to it it must be something that is is referenced but it serves no purpose because it doesn't really come off as a as an efficient parody it doesn't really make fun of the thing. It simply is a product of the same. Yeah, I don't buy that it's an actual intentional parody.
0: It may have become a parody by accident, but I don't actually believe that it was a parody. However...
1: No, but by... it, but the effect, of course, is... Uh, for, our, for listeners' sake, it comes off as a B-movie. Yeah. Which is not parody, but functions as one also, incidentally.
0: But as per your request, we will move on to the next track, which is Halls of Valhalla. Now... I don't understand why established artists who clearly have a quality of recording equipment and recording will choose to use a hollower, lesser quality sound on purpose for no reason other than setting. I get that if it's supporting a story or setting of the song, that there's a point to it, but if you're using such a poor quality that it takes you out of the scene and you can only notice how poor quality that part of the track is it defeats the purpose to be fair this is specifically the chorus that you're talking about correct i'm pre-ram uh
2: pre-ranting the chorus <laughs> you got a lot of pre-rambles <laughs> he's preempting everything it's else. like a
1: preamble instead it's a pre-ramble i like that
2: what happens in this chorus, like and that. this is something i want to harp on too though there i will be get back to the intro it's he's it's it's inspired by the actual title of the track valhalla is a hall in which all the great Norse warriors get to hang out in if they've been good enough warriors. It is where Odin and Thor show up and they're your best buds and you drink a lot of beer and fight each other. They take this hall. They take this hall. They take this big empty space, but it's carpeted. It loses that echoing epic kind of a feel of what you would expect from the Mead Hall of the gods. It feels soft around the edges. It's... Muted.
1: It's fuzzy. This is not fuzzy, warm, happy, fun time. And that said, also since we're skipping the intro here and we're is honing in on the chorus, I'll chime in on this as well. Um, I would describe it as as a lack of as a lack of reverb, and yet retaining the hollowness, as if it was. I think I think carpeted a carpeted hallway is, is actually a pretty good uh, good analogy, um, which is probably what you'd get from from. Taking down the reverb that you would otherwise come from being in a hallway, instead I just hear the recording studio trying to mimic this thing, which is clearly, you know, I don't think they went on, uh, I don't think they went on on a field trip in order to do this in some great cathedral. It and- does sound very hollow, and yet it lacks that 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 airiness, that that expanse that should come with a with a hallway, especially something that is, you know beyond life, something that is bigger than life itself, a paradise of hallway, you'd think would be expansive. That's not the way his voice feels in this chorus. And I mean, also what really points it out is how
0: crisp the verses sound, and how good the quality and close to the mic he's singing really points it out. The quality of the chorus doesn't help either. It is, exactly, Valhalla you are calling, Valhalla you are calling me home, Valhalla new day dawning, Valhalla, this is where I belong, I belong. Like, it's just very basic and straightforward. And, like, the verses are actually not terrible and very crisp in sound. And I think that's what annoys me about this choice for the choruses. It was an effect that they were trying to accomplish based on the
1: title of the song, and I get that. But to me, it failed miserably. But chronologically here, coming from where we the, the track begins, it... it I do think that it was kind of a unique intro in that it was actually trying to deliver the whole Halls of Valhalla thing. It sounds like you're walking into an arena, and, and the music is getting louder and louder as you're getting closer to the arena, and you can actually hear people in the background. Of course, because this is Halls of Valhalla, I have a feeling they're trying to go for some little little combo deal where they're, where they're um, merging an actual rock arena with what they're presenting as the actual Halls of Valhalla. It's kind of a... It, it's kind of a... Clever, if not been there, done that... Metal... Metal analogy. Because that helps... Accentuate the grandiose nature... Of your track. Of your metal track.
2: But they get sloppy again. They go into... Uh, they, they get rid of it... And go into this riff in the intro... That is pretty divorced... From that original idea... And feels very standard. I agree. Not very... Tropey in a different way... But very standard and then they kind of pigeonhole that 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 first kind of kind of enjoyable introduction they jerry-rig it into what was later the rest of the song they they force it in its place and it feels like a wet blanket was thrown over this idea it it feels like they just had to make it metal like mm-hmm. it wasn't already metal enough they had to give it speed they have to give it heavy drums they have to give it you know Everything that is
1: supposed to be metal, even though they were doing something cool. Yeah, you know, frankly, the I don't know. It depends on what you see coming out of Valhalla. I mean, I I I, I do think that there is some justification for what you said before, Matt. Actually, when you when you mentioned that that it the the hollowness of the core chorus vocals are 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 ho- highlighted by the, the close, crisp nature of the verse. Well, I do believe that is because that's supposed to be the the narrator. The narrator is always going to be crisp and close because he's clearly defining what the tale is or clearly painting the scene. And he's not necessarily off in the stage. He's there at the microphone. So that, there's no, you know, I, I don't find any, any personal problem with that. But then when he suddenly steps away to the character, that is just as big of a a uh transition that it's like all right so narrator character narrator character and the character doesn't say much all he says is valhalla you were calling me valhalla you were calling me home the new day dawning this is where i belong i belong it's it's you you have more narrator than you do plot and then oh and there's nothing backing up this narrator
2: that's 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 what's going on and you go through just standard key changes that are as predictable as they are long. Throughout the entire song and in, in, in the melody, it's it's jumping around exactly how so much of metal was designed. There's nothing unique about that, and that's a huge detractor here. And then and then the, to top it all off, this song would not have been complete without the speed guitar. Of course not. Who doesn't like a nice speed guitar solo because you have to do high energy? I mean, it's...
1: it's To be fair, it is somewhat of the only reprieve I have in this music. If I'm going to kind of enjoy this and sort kind of force myself through this, that is the thing I'm going to be highlighting in the end. That's the thing I'm going to be highlighting as my enjoyment factor here. It's going to be that the fact that this, it's fast, it's fun, it's, uh... It's intense, you know, for whatever that does for you. But... Yeah, that's about it. I'm not really looking for substance here. Maybe that's just it. Yeah, but the intensity is forced by some of the
2: guitar work and not actually felt by the music. There's, it's It becomes a single It feels note, soulless. A single of course. trio of notes being plucked in rapid repetition that you can do if you play enough Simon Says. And then you move your hand to another area and you do the same exact thing you move your hand to another area and you do the same exact thing there's no inspiration to this this is this is supporting guitar metal work being used as a primary piece it's it's not good it's just
1: not good. i agree and it goes back to that other thing it is it is just it's, it is a perfect example of it is really more of an archetype than anything else like you know, 101, that kind of thing. It presents you the genre, it doesn't present you anything else. And it did make me consider, as I was listening to this song specifically, that I, I really, you know, a diversity in my artists is really what I want to see first and foremost. I want to see that they can change, uh, not necessarily with the times, but with their own work, with their own sense of creativity. It needs to evolve, it needs to do varying things, it if it all it's doing is just fitting in, into a box, which I do understand is what many people are looking for here. If if it fits the box, then they soak it up. But that's a very very narrow and and frankly, it's it's it, it's a narrow perception of art. It's a narrow perception of of what art can do. So as a result, I'm I'm inclined to dismiss that. But I have to at least mention it because it is going to be a focal, uh, a focal draw here, a focal audience or people buying this album. Yeah, but. Just because there's the technical prowess involved with that doesn't
2: mean there's any inspiration reaching the audience. Yeah, you can you can be great with your fingers as a guitarist, as a bassist, be great with your hands as a drummer, but being able to have high levels of speed, being able to pluck at, at incredible tempo does not mean you're you're plucking a chord that will reach people. I agree. I agree. And that's, that's my peeve. <laughs> that's
1: my big peeve here. We're agreeing
2: too much. Yeah.
1: There's a bigger peeve, and it's in track four, though, I believe. Aye. I might mindful to let John take that. Although, I, I, I'm going to get the music out of the way before you jump into... Please, uh, do. Please let do. do. Let me at least start started. with the
0: song title, which is Sword of Damocles,
1: which is also a line from Rocky
2: Horror, among other things. Yes, actually, that's one of its well, best-known uh, pop culture
1: references. Yes. Anyway. It's also a story, as as John will tell you. First, let me just get the music out of the way here. it's, I, I think at least music-wise, this had just an interesting premise because of the time signature alone. This actually had—it was probably the most moving piece yet, at least in terms of just kind of, you know— getting the song going at least we are in not what I would call a predictable riff it's, it's it's got some interest into it it's um I feel it in three personally but but maybe you feel it in six there's no really big difference there um, but because of this chord cycle you could even argue that it's a long 12 eight there's lots of moments in there with uh cluster of tri- clusters of triplets sometimes lasting enough to make you even feel it in like a hasty 916 or something like that which is kind of cool it's definitely got a lot of motion to it. But even those triplets are mostly just for transitions and drum fills, guitar fills, so I wouldn't really advertise that as the main rhythm. Um, I am going to get to the first moment of this track musically that I actually loved on this track and this album as a whole. Halfway through, the whole tone of this album kind of takes a breath. A bass and two guitars, I believe, step into arpeggiate in E flat minor ninth chord. Very densely voiced with the guitar accenting the third, the F-sharp, and this is still the rhythm from earlier, it's still in the same rhythm, i I say it would be 3-8. But the arpeggiation brings the notes down to 16th, so it's really fast, and yet at the same time it's soft. The softest softest moment yet on this album. But because it's still fast, it's kind of fluid, it's rippling, and I'm just entranced by the fact that the drum has finally cut out, and it's just this bass, two guitars. And then the second chord here seems to be an E diminished, which further tightens up the voicing and the guitar accents the flat five in this case. So this was a great moment. And then you add the vocals, which for the first time, I I was not just glossing over and saying, oh yeah, it's a predictable uh, Judas Priest, um, you know, predictable metal vocals. Kind of half screaming, but not necessarily screaming. This was a falsetto. It was a gorgeous falsetto too. It wasn't It wasn't abrasive, it was slow, it was fitting to the rhythm, and it was a rich, rich tone, controlled vibrato. All of this it had going for it, and then the drums. It just pulls away from that moment, which I didn't want to say was fleeting. I wanted to say that that was turning into a full-fledged B section, but it wasn't. It just pulled back, the drums step in, which I refer to as the Terminator drums, the dun-dun-dun-dun-dun, and it just exits that no time for that moment to even make an impact with me even though I, I do have to say it did make an impact with me but it has no impact on the song as a greater in a greater sense it was just it, I remember it was a us, dot it was a dot on the album in the grand scheme of things i remember we
2: made eye contact when that music came out actually <laughs> like <gasps> ah yeah, kind of a moment that gasp of ooh aww, that we, it 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 flips it goes from a uh, where are they going to... Where are they going? It's... It's a shame. Yeah. It's a damn shame. Now I'm going to go into my tirade. And this is going to be a bit of a nitpick for me. I know that. Because The sort of Damocles, the story, the original story, is a beautiful story talking about the responsibilities of those in power. It is a song about... Not a song. A story about... um, A man called Damocles who goes to his king and says, King, you, you have such a great life. He goes to, uh, the king's actually Dionysus. You have this great life. You, you live in the lap of luxury. You have everything you could always want. So the king decides to show him what it truly is to be like to rule. He gives him this life of luxury and hangs above him a sword held up by just a single hair above the throne. And it's, it's that symbology that is what makes the story so powerful. It's, it's the idea of heavy does the crown weigh. Those who have power and who rule must always be fearful of those they rule, of those rising up, of what the actual danger is to be powerful. Spider-Man said it better. With great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> you are obligated. To actually bring this power and do something good with it. Because you will be rewarded for it. This song, what this song is actually about, is fighting. Fight people. That's the whole summation of the song itself. The The chorus. Stand tall, rise up, stay strong, fight your enemies. Truth will find its reward if you live and die by the sword. That's stupid. <laughs> that, that is just... just it's a terrible combination. One one part of the I mean, the sort of Damocles can be a beautiful piece of imagery. When used in a literary sense, but I, I think basically so what, you're little,
1: what you're trying to get at here is is um is they that this, the, this, the, I think the, they cut out the gray areas, which is which the sort of Damocles really is trying to to bring to the table. The gray areas that that is always the responsibility that the hard choices, the hard choices that are simply not going to be so black and white. This track, I mean, these, these lyrics, outline the black and white. It simply says, there will be bad, you'll have to fight it. If only life were so simple. but <laughs> It yeah. clearly is not, and and I just, I don't know, I, I find that there's not really a lyric in here that I, I, I see presenting to the contrary. It's very, you know, there's dangers to challenge the throne. Uh, there's danger to challenge the throne. Deceivers will rise and, and weave their web of stealth. Can you face them standing alone? So it, you know... It doesn't talk it, about... Fight it. You're going to have issues to face. But that itself, you're right, does not really address the, the more important problems, which is that sometimes... How to
2: avoid these issues. That's what it's how about. How to avoid these issues or... How to or be a good person as opposed to fighting. Because in this case, if it's if it's supposed to be this parallel, the person has already effed up enough to have a rebellion on his end, or, or
1: how even still to, to figure out what is right and what is wrong. I think that's more of the, he the did more wrong. important problem yeah, as a... It, it, you want to do the story he did wrong and is actually
2: in the wrong he should not be fighting he has failed the test that's why he has foes to fight that i i as a as a literary person as an enjoyer of stories of words i can't get over this i dislike this song just on principle at this point
1: I don't know am i it... correct in in presuming that the that the uh, stanza Wield the spear of light, guard it with your mouth. Sword of Damocles, sword of Damocles. Was that the stanza, Pr- ger- which directly. was which was um, which was the light the light section in which the whole track took a breather. I am not positive. That was right after it, I believe. Right after that that breather part. I don't believe it was. I mean, it obviously wasn't the chorus. It wasn't stand tall, rise up, stay strong, fight your enemies. This one escapes me here because, frankly, I was more interested in the in the in his voice at that moment rather than what he was saying. But this is a clear disconnect. I mean, it, no, actually, I take that back. This is not a matter of a disconnect between music and, uh, and the lyrics. This is more a matter of they're, they, they keep doing the same music. The music is the same as it was in the previous. Yes, it was a little bit more interesting. We had a more in, engaging rhythm. But it's not as if that made me feel anything different except for this one moment. And even then, I couldn't really tie that to the tale here. And the moments that we're feeling are very disconnected and soulless still. It's very repetitive. and It's another it's not, one of those cut and paste situations. Where we You just, have a riff, and then the riff just, you know, well, we have this riff, we have this story, we have these lyrics, we have this riff. Well, on us to slap them together. Hey, they work. Cool.
0: And work, we use the term they work loosely. Um, I just feel like look, not all metal is going to make you have the feels, as we said plenty last week, but you get something from metal. Excitement, energy, passion, fury, rage, something. I feel nothing listening to fast-paced heavy metal.
1: That's an assault. I think it's more of a... See, here's the thing. They obviously expect you to, to be drawn in by this tale here and be drawn in by the, by his plight as, 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 as leader, as, as as king. So you're supposed to feel for him and then be put in his stead. The failure there is, of course, the fact that this character is described in the most general of ways, and the fact that we don't really have fluidity in this album. I mean, as of yet, at least we don't really have have theme fluidity. See many of the other albums, and of course this uh is sort of weighed on pretty thick by the album we had last week in which the theme was so tied together because we had this continuing evolving story that by the time you reach a track and you you read the lyrics you're you already have information you have information going in, but this it it feels like a new. It, it's just a completely new. I I don't think I could really compare this to uh, Halls of Valhalla in any way. But but other separate vague storyline that may or may not involve a warrior who was going. It you just know.
0: feels like a collection of short stories. Really, the whole album so far. It's just one story to the next. There's no connection. There's no through line, and the music is repetitive in Sammy, So, the music is the through line. But that's that's just what they do. <laughs> It's not helping. It's not a through line. It doesn't really help in the next track either. March of the Damned. So I, I mean, honestly, all I wrote for, all I wrote for this was generically generic. I mean, at this point, I, the everything's just starting to blur together. Oh, I'm no. not,
2: I'm not finding very many differences. We have a big difference here, and this is where Steve's comment on vocal issues earlier comes into play. That's not the first
1: thing I noticed, though. I would like to mention rhythm quickly, if I get the chance here, okay. only because this is a march. So we're immediately pulled from probably my apart from the stanza in the last track that I thought was was kind of brilliant, cool. save for the fact that it was mostly divorced. Yes, that moment. Um, th- th- apart from that, the last track at least had the rhythms going for it. It was that cool sort of triple meter feel. Here it's a march, so it's it, it's in the title. We know it's going to be a march, so we know it's going to be pretty basic. It's in four four. So as a march, you know what you're getting. It's going to be pretty steady, and indeed it was. The one thing that it may have had going for it in this stead, in that case, was the melody. And the melody in the bridge specifically, because of the fact that when you have a march, when you have such a steady rhythm, it kind of gives you leeway to focus on the melody, because the rhythm is not distracting in any way. It's, It's totally just there. But even so, what I found... And this brings me to your comment about the vocals, is that the melody itself, even though the melody was nice, the vocals presenting it were just listless. It was whiny, but without passion.
2: I think this is actually another part uh, of the artistic idea, like we had in Valhalla, uh, messing with the song. The song is, March of the Damned Heat, they're, they're speaking more from the point of view of, I guess, zombies, or Restless Spirits or something like that. So they want to infuse that idea. And it kind of gets overplayed with that whininess. They're not even doing that, though.
0: The lyrics are literally so piss poor and generic that it's not even giving you an identity.
2: No, no, no. I refute that. Where? Show me. Can't, Can't we... break us. We never fall. Black souls. It's over. Just watch us crawl. Yeah, but a human could be a black soul. He could <laughs> crawl because he's injured. Well, there's the verse. I mean, not the I... verse, the chorus.
1: No, We I, are no, on
2: I, the March of the Damned. Rather than of simply the reading damned, here, I really want to take damned. this. But a human can be on a March of the Damned, too. Like, marching towards hell to their death. Who knows? Well, what? then screaming souls is another way to do it. I, I mean, guess. but this is... I don't... It made me sit up because, yeah, we're getting different vocal work, which is coupled with a little bit different in the rhythm work, but... Honestly, different didn't equate better. No, no not at all.
1: That's the thing. I, I, I accept what you mentioned. I mean, it's not one of the first thing that I noticed. Like, hey, different equal good. But I, I understand your optimism there. Because it definitely is in stark contrast to the vocals on all the preceding tracks. Except for that one little stanza, which I love in the previous track. Which I'm going to keep going back to. Because it's my favorite moment in the album. In any case, here... Yes... It's different, it's varying, but I, it made me realize something specifically about his vocals that they just don't do tenor very well. I mean, alright, you could argue that he's mostly always singing in tenor, but he does dip up to falsetto, in which he did in that last stanza in the previous track, which was utterly gorgeous. But then most of his singing is really in more of that forceful tenor, the borderline screaming. Not quite screaming, but it's something that I would... I would it's a category unto itself. I don't really want to call it tenor. I don't want to really want to call it falsetto. Um, it's, it's sort of a scream. It's that metal vocal style, which we all know and love. Sometimes. But then here, he just dropped that. He dropped his quintessential style, seemingly to good avail, and it, just, it, 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 it kind of left it barren. And that was the problem. And it made me realize that his tenor is somewhat lacking. I mean, I kind of heard whininess in here, but... It it was nothing to
0: speak of. Rob Halford is one of the most terrifying and powerful and intimidating vocalists in metal. When you make him whine, it's aggravating to me. Because this is a man who wears leather from head to toe. (laughs) And is one of the most terrifying homosexual metalhead performers I have ever seen. He is... Amazing and powerful and has a huge president. When you make him
1: whine like this, he sounds like every terrible emo singer that's come out in the last decade. And I, hated I, I it. do have to say that it was, was a that was a thought in my head. I thought like eh, early two thousands era emo semi or like, you know, post punk borrowing from new metal, perhaps, you know, that brand. And uh, just something about it's this this animal seemed seemed off. Well, I I think
2: it's there's a Chorus that didn't show up when they were recording this could he could the idea have been I don't know maybe they doubled oh you, they could almost, you could almost you could almost gloss over the chorus here no 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 I like agree. chorus as in group of people singing with oh him. fair like it it's that voice that actual wino voice <laughs> <worked. not> wino. <laughs> could have worked wino it's a different thing not really it could have worked with his higher falsetto. If he was doubling himself. Maybe. I don't know, but then... It could have worked with maybe someone backing him up with a baritone. I don't know. It could have worked if it was anything but what it was now. If somebody was singing along with him, even if it was himself, there could have been something going on here. Maybe. It would have promoted the march idea. Maybe that's even getting a little bit too tropey in this case. But in this, i got to start pointing out ways I think they could have done
1: better. I will say... Okay, actually, no. I'm going to just jump off that really quickly. Because, of course is no stranger to to any uh regular listener of the podcast that that you know a lot of times when i get into the th- into the theory work here and i'm playing around with with the music and i'm trying to to un- unpack it a lot of times i'm sitting by the piano and trying to really break it down and and sort of figuring out what is done i have to confess that during the majority of this album i was actually sitting down soloing over it or comping to it Trying to kind of make it more interesting. I was having a, a rather fun time actually, just kind of like soling over varying sections because I was using them as this sort of bare bones uh, rubric on which I could just have fun and do other more interesting stuff over. That's not like self-aggrandizing my own piano playing in any sense. It's certainly not my genre here. But you know, what am I gonna do? They stay in the same chord for a while, and then I start just you know getting bored with their riff. So then I started just diddling around. I was getting bored as not only a listener, but also a musician. So there's that perspective that I just want to kind of to get out there. Um, but to go back to what you were saying, uh, John, about 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 the chorus I and, and about, about how other people could have stepped in perhaps to make this a little bit more filled out. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that, like I said, yes, he did sound barren when he sort of dropped his scream and reduced to a tenor. But then it also brings back the comment that I made in the very, very first track, when I mentioned that his melodies seemed disconnected from the music. And you had said, well, let's save that to later. I think this is the moment. Yes, This is definitely a moment that that really pushed that out, and a lot of that had to do with the fact that he dropped the scream. So he had not only the comment that I made in the beginning, where I feel like the melody was disconnected anyway, but then when you drop the scream and his style that we've had integrated for so long up to this point, then it's really disconnected, it's really barren, and something just seems like this is track on track, as opposed to full integration, which is what we want in music. You can create that disconnect, but using it as the main focal point
2: of the vocals just just completely hurts the song. Emphasizing a specific word, like the word damned, used ad nauseum in the song, but, but using that word damned and bringing it down as a pleading screamo piece can do a lot to create emotions if it's coupled with something else. Doing accenting like that would have been amazing work vocally. Yeah. But to just keep it at that that just almost prepubescent kind of a level, level, that that guy broken voice kind of a level is just not
1: not good music. Well, if the track builds to anything, I I do think, of course, yet again, it's the solo after those two refrains. And to be fair, yes, again, it's an impressive solo, in terms of just raw, rubber-fingered ability. It's the kind of solo that I kind of hate to hate on, actually, because the only reason it suffers is because of the rest of the song itself. I mean, the steady march of the drums, plus the recurring whiny inserts of the vocalist, March of the Damned, we are on the march of the damned, of the damned, march of the damned. It's literally just over and over and over again. I mean, I just, I understand the purpose of staggering the solo in this way, because it, it does provide a little bit of intrigue at the end of the album here. You have pieces of this solo, and then we go back to, the vocalist we are on the march of the dance it then it goes back to the solo and then it goes back to him and they're kind of overlapping in a while just to sort of provide this overly long and grandiose outro but then it it just it kept me honed in on the thing the one thing that bored me as opposed to the thing that should have taken me away from that the solo
0: yeah and it just the it outros in a very uninspired way and doesn't really connect to the next track either just kind of
2: goes your next track, Down in Flames. <laughs> so it goes. Down in Flames... Uh, we got a little bit of a deviation with March of the Damned, but Down in Flames becomes the greatest hits of metal. It's a montage track. It's a montage rift. Like, I just feel like we're seeing a progression storyline piece. Hmm. Just enough so that you can get
1: a little bit here and there and know that time is passing. Well... The intro was cool. It, it starts off with a riff that's that's in seven, which is always fun, it's inventive. Um, that's mainly because of the accents, but it's probably four, it's probably alternating a group of f- uh, four four, then three four, then four four, then three four, and it's back and forth, back and forth, which is actually pretty cool. Again, it's the rhythms here that I really want to hone in on, especially if we go back to other albums, like for instance, uh, Black Sabbath. A lot of time they did the same things too. Uh, we go back to some of the other more heavier brand, if not necessarily metal. We just go to like heavier stuff like Prague. Uh, Scale the Summit also had interesting rhythms. This is the kind of stuff that really like keeps me, and invested. If you're going to have a more heavier sound, if you're going for, if your ultimate goal is raw intensity, then switch it up. Switch it up. Do do that. Keep keep going on that. But then. As always it just settles back into this pretty bland riff right after this intro and then I I, I hit on a whole new problem with this album and and uh, this it goes back to vocals but the thing is unlike the last track where the vocals had gone down to tenor here they still felt like they were in the previous tracks the vocals were eh, they were somewhat screamed but I gotta say at this point they were kind of laughable well, I think that is because of the lyrics. It's because of the lyrics are and the his slow, presentation. like, you know, one line, a little bit of a pause, then another line. So it's, it's slow and deliberate. Well, we're getting such great work as, In my heart, I can
2: say, I'll be ready for what comes my way. Don't be fooled, I can tell, where I'm going will... S- uh, going to will serve me well.
1: Now, actually, I see your point. Now, you, you, when you really like read that out, a I'm lot, trying a lot to of,
2: fix it as I'm saying it. Like, oh, there's an extra preposition here. I want to
1: Shouldn't really break that there. down. My last days, we shall see. They are coming now. They're after me. <laughs> All right. If if I if I may have have uh, impugned your comment before about it being elementary school is definitely definitely elementary school here. That's just, that's, I don't know, that's embarrassing to read, to be honest. They want blood, yes, it's true, going quietly, I just don't do. That force, that forcing it in, I mean, (laughs) If do was the rhyme he could come up, up with, therefore just flip around a phrase, which is very uh, com- uncommonly done in English, going quietly, I just don't do, to sort of do that, that flip around in English that, you know, I don't go quietly. That makes more sense, but that wouldn't fit the rhyme scheme, so, buh, you force it in. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's it's laughable, and, and yes, now I understand your point, like, that, I think, is, is a major... Component about dragging down the the, the vocal quality because it's so awkward. It's awkward because of the writing. So this is, this is something vocal... you do for English class because you have to write a poem because that's the section
2: you're in right now. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. The chorus. It's my, oh my God! It's my the chorus before I
1: get my journalism degree.
2: Going down in flames. Going down in a blaze of glory. Going down in flames. Going down in a blaze of glory. Not only is he trying to be witty by by taking the same sort of imagery and
1: using the opposite sides of the coin, which I appreciate on a very, very superficial level. Oh, and by the way, this is the sec- second instance. We, we, if we hadn't noted it um, in the previous track, March of the Damned, it, it goes on to repeat title of the track. We are on the March of the Damned, March of the Damned. S- here again, it concludes with going down in flames, going down in flames, title of the track, down in flames. Well, and also, like, <sighs> this, this analogy that he's making has been made
0: before in the 80s. Or no, it might have been the '90s. Actually, this might be by a band that's not as—I don't know if I want to say not as talented, but are definitely considered more tropey. Bon Jovi, John Bon Jovi, mm-hmm. wrote a song called "Blaze of Glory," and the chorus is him literally belting out, "I'm going down, down in a blaze of glory." I remember that. yes. I'm going down someone help me like it was and, I remember yeah and and that was more poignant it was from young guns the movie it was a more emotional song it was better delivered
2: it was better written sort of to go Actually, to go
1: and say you can be trophy and still be poignant and and this failed in both counts yes this this sort I mean of, no because this anymore.
2: this specific uh uh ideas are 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 much much older than that I mean going down in flames this is Nero said it better when he violined at the burning of his empire. Like, <laughs> they're
1: really just just going on Wikipedia to get ideas at this point. It's a little ridiculous. But that's the thing. When you speak in such vague terms or you, or you latch on to very simple, iconic, mythological things like Hall, the Halls of Valhalla without really getting deeper into the mythology, not that I'm necessarily implying that they that they that they don't know. I mean, I I perhaps they've read further, but that they just didn't want to write a song deeper on it. But unfortunately that hurts the usage of these vague things. I mean, you you need some you need something. You need something to latch to. instead I'm just getting Mytholo- mythology 101. It gets vaguer than this. I mean, the next track Helen Back is even
0: vaguer lyrically than this one. But what's worse is, so there's a place in he- in metal and heavy metal for vague lyrics. It's called Rob Zombie. Rob Zombie writes really over the top, vague monster movie esque lyrics. Well, that's how that's how he writes his monster movies. But yeah, but it's but he does it in a way where the performance, the music, how he sings, all of that other stuff gives it the theatricality especially when he performs it live,
2: that backs it up. His music actually has gore. Yeah. Not lyrically, but like, it's it's got the guts. It's got the blood. We're not talking, like, truly visceral pieces, but it, it's watching a B-movie with your ears. It, it does have this, that sort of love. This is
0: a B-movie without any humor or over-the-top special
2: effects or anything. It's just the bare-bones crap it's because so much of the energy is lost in this song once again changing up his vocals now he's just completely out of power as he's singing the guitarist it found it sounds like he's using half his fingers he's so tired and the drummer loses all of his flair this is probably my least favorite track on the album because all of the metal energy is gone it's just
1: gone down in flames yes yeah no, hell oh, and back. Oh, oh hell and back. back. Helen
2: we have back, moved on So, yeah, hell and back. I mean,
0: the first verse is. Okay, I'm just going to read it because it's, it's it'll explain itself. I have roamed so far away. I have found there's no turning back. I have seen so many things. I have been to hell and back. Right there.
2: Okay. Yeah, far away hell. Okay. Uh, I'm he going to say. He couldn't come back. He couldn't come back. He says he there's no turning back, yet he's been back from hell. Already
1: literary problems and I'm not, no things. I'm actually I'm actually thinking that 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 whole first stanza was just unnecessary because that is summed up in the title hell and back hell and back you went to hell all and back. of those lines are implications literary implications that automatically come with hell and back this is the use of brevity that that is just not executed here because you know normally you wouldn't pander to your audience this is pandering it panders for a whole stanza. Oh, well, and then even the next verse, still in the land of the living, rocking the
0: home of the brave, staying alive and still kicking, ain't got no need to be saved. First of all, grammatically, <laughs> that's awful, but second second of all, it's like, so he's here and he is alive, but he's not alive. And then the chorus, out of the fire and into the black, we've been through it all, we've been to hell and back. Again, mm. the chorus applied in the title. Yeah, It's just... It's such childish writing at this point. This song is even more dramatic, g- generic than the previous, and he's still dicking around with that terrible tenor
1: when he should be belting these lyrics. At least if he was belting that terrible chorus, there would be some inflection and emotion th- to I, it. I would even argue that the, that the problem was even worse here than it was in uh, in Down in Flame. I which agree. Is why I asked you specifically, John, like whether that was one of your worst or. Which one of these two was your worst? Because I had never had such a disappointment in the first five seconds of a track before. First, we get the acoustic guitar in the beginning of Helen Back, which was actually kind of interesting. It was it was intriguing, and again, it's it's just a change in the overall texture of this album. It's lighter, but then on top of that, his voice steps in, and it's, I realize the same thing. It's tolerable when he's screaming. It's beautiful in falsetto, but it's just not good in tenor. Without that that uh, without that meat, it's just. He's working with exactly what we described. This is a carbon copy of the, of the last track. Yeah, there's ba- bad lyrics, um, and then when he when he takes out the force, then you don't even have passion for the bad lyrics, and it's just lose lose. But here, no, here it, I really
2: do think it gets worse, because you just have plotting generic power chords, thrown on top of the entire mess.
1: Oh yeah, this is like a it's latent easy easy
2: track. It's supposed to be like introspective I guess maybe that's what they were kind of going for here but at least on he's looking th- back on his life and all this shit he's gone through but it comes off as that just barely funky.
0: is even there no
2: that's I think that's the idea that they're going for here
0: but speaking of what Steve said at least in a late ACDC track a lot of their songs are at least entertaining, and when you've got Angus Young hopping around on one foot playing these ridiculous guitar solos for 11 minutes straight, at least it's an impressive show in stamina, whereas here it's just repetitive and boring without being entertaining. I think we should just move on to track 8. Cold-blooded. So this is where at least we finally get something a little different
1: to break from the monotony, not something terribly different, but different enough. Well, I, we like, don't, to, I like to talk about texture here, so an important thing to mention here is, is that keeping with the kind of 80s feel of this album, although, you know, if you're specifically honing honing in on 80s metal, then this would take a particular feature that I think has been absent on this album, and that, that's sort of a twang in the guitar that feels like it's distant, uh, feels like it might have a little bit of high gain or something like that, and then has its own uh, a certain degree of reverb, but yet it's still crisp it's still clean. It's that brand of guitar that is very much in contrast to the otherwise heavy power chord semi-distorted guitar that exists in the rest of this album. It's a twang that it was almost used as like a synth effect. It's used as a background a, a backdrop for this track, which I think uh, sets it apart almost immediately. Um, granted, even that, that guitar <laughs> had been done to death in the 80s, but, you know, it gave this track in, in aura, a specific aura, and it had not been done to death on this album. It was new, it was fresh, and, and it, it actually had some nostalgia attached uh, to it, for me at least. Apart from that, the, the actual sections of this track, they moved, they really did. This was not just, you know, revisiting the verse, revisiting the chorus, everything predictable, you know, like, like a newborn this is just this actually does expand this this it, it has definite motion to it that was at least my my saving grace for this track i was like i i was almost i was almost um pre-programmed to kind of find the repetitions where this track kind of kept debating it for me and that was to its credit
0: i mean it was peppered with some interesting guitar solos but they were all kind of fleeting and none of them really developed in the way we really want a guitar solo at this point to develop. They don't give us enough.
2: No, no, during the actual uh, late part of the solo work I was really
1: getting into it really getting to it. It was getting a little outlandish. Since you mentioned the solos, I think one feature that actually kept it interesting was the sort of persistent arpeggiation. Is breaking the chords apart and and running that up and down as opposed to simply doing runs and running the scale up and down. I think that's one of the things that kept the previous solos really, uh... Pigeonholed, pigeon-holed exactly. And then here, you know, you're breaking out a little bit more. Exploring some different patterns. And patterns are really what you have to explore when you're doing solos, period. Um... And it was just, it was different. It was different, and I, I mean, musically it different at this point. No, yeah.
0: Musically, it was engaging enough because it was a little different, but lyrically, it was still the same not great
2: lyrics. He's brain dead. Yeah. This is a song about essentially being nothing, and he has so much to say on this topic.
0: <laughs> I have no face. I have no mind. I have no senses left. You see I'm blind. I see what you did there. You see I'm blind.
2: I feel no faith. I hear no truth. The reasonings I have have all come loose. There is no way. Truth and loose don't rhyme.
0: There is no way. (laughs) I have no voice. I have no say. I have no choice. First of all, you're doing a lot of talking, Dr. Seuss, without saying anything. Yeah. I mean, also the problem with this is, well, actually, it's there. It's very apparent. These these lyrics, I could have. I could probably write better lyrics, and I'm not a great lyric writer. It's just, it's so basic, and so tight in this constraint
1: of word-phrase, word-phrase, word-phrase. I mean, even, even the moments here where he sort of tries to kind of spice up the vocab a little bit and make it a little bit more interesting just in terms of what you're hearing. Not, not elementary school level words, at least. He still says nothing. I lie here numb, my conscience clear and all the decency transfused to fear." The, that, that, again, could have been said in one line, as opposed to the Susian repetition of it. That itself is just... That's, that's overstating it, as opposed to many other things just understating it. I mean, I don't know. It's just this seems to be the, the, his staple go-to writing style on almost every single stanza of every single track now i never broke down judas priest lyrics before in in previous albums and I, I i maybe i don't want to
0: to be fair some of the lyrics in the older albums might have been as cliche but the difference was the music was so interesting it didn't matter as much and that's kind of where you go in metal if you're not making super engaging lyrics you have music to back it up emotionally i also want to say at this point it cold-blooded at track eight we've gone Eight tracks without me feeling engaged emotionally at all
2: at any point. Well, I just that I, one stanza
1: well, in track three. But that's it. Uh, wait wait uh, wait yeah. for it.
2: Wait for it. We're gonna just deaden your soul a little bit more with metalizer. So first of all, rant time. I get that we
0: take license as artists to make up words. Oh, excuse me, track four. Cl-
1: disclaimer. Continue.
0: We make up words that, that apply to what we want to use it for to describe metalizer this track is obviously someone who turns things to metal or cold like metal or
1: i don't even effing know i just know sort of a midas of metal i guess of generic metal as opposed to but like gold. if
0: you're gonna make up a word make up one that doesn't sound so dumb i don't know is the just
1: metalizer. but then it almost makes me, brings me back to that that theory i had of self-parody I, but I know not. it's not it's not a fluid thing, but there are moments like this where it's just I am incapable of believing that this was this that this idea was born out of out of no I I take this idea very seriously. I just I don't see. It's, the, this, it's this dream I had about. I'm gonna a, take. A I'm
0: gonna take your side of this though. Uh, when we were talking about Robbie Williams and how you were pointing out that while it did sound like there was a lot of parody, there were some sincere moments that you just couldn't find the parody in other than. It had to be because it wouldn't make sense otherwise. Uh And you thought that was thin. I'm claiming it here. I just think that calling it a parody because it sounds like a parody, but the lyrics are still fairly sincere. Like, I just, I can't. I'm sorry. Well, we have to
1: go to lyrics for that.
2: Just want to mention something. Metalizer is a type of paint, usually a lacquer paint, in which you spray it on and it turns into shiny. Oh, so it's actually a word. Yeah, but not the word they're using. (laughs) <laughs> I just wanna say it's it's a word they found He psyched us out when they were act when they were probably on the internet and and would like No, I don't st- think
1: so at all. You read the <laughs> lyrics here, kind it's clearly not, course, not that. Yeah, you know.
0: He will find you, goes for your throat, mesmerize you, he is the metalizer.
2: <laughs> what? I'm sorry. No, what? He's a zombie lord trying to raise more. I, lo- dead I love people. how you like you lost hope and or an assassin. It's like you the, lost hope like, in
1: humanity as you read
0: that. And like the verse is thrusting, f- like the first verse. That was the course. I skipped ahead, but the first verse, thrusting from a grave of unholy earth, giving all his worth. Let the damned be saved. All that evil sin burned, buried <laughs> underground. What? Feeling safe and sound in his deadly skin. Like, so it's about a
2: zombie? I'm confused. Uh, he was, well, no. He raised Beautiful from the grave. He buried underground. He raised from the dead, yet was still underground with the sin. It's It's an allegory of what? The problem of it's not an allegory economics of versus shut ecology. up, John. It's not an keep al- going with this. Keep it's going.
0: not an allegory of anything. It's no, inco- I'm going to go into
2: something way deeper than what they got going on. It's oh, incoherent yeah. lyrics that are contradictory. Oh, don't no, don't worry. It does get tropey as well. With no sense of fear, tooth and nail will claw at flesh and bone. Prevail, his honor will not fail. It sounds like the things the Weird Sisters
0: say in Macbeth over the cauldron, like. Bo- Doyle. Uh, oh no, I tried to go. Toil, toil, little... bubble, trouble. I'm screwing up the line, but you know what I bubble, mean. Bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. trouble.
2: Thank you. It sounds like that. Double, double, toil and trouble. Cauldron burn and no fire burn and cauldron bubble. Yeah. I used to know that by heart. That would have been much better. I kind of want to hear a Shakespearean actor read this aloud because it might be a very, very intriguing aside. Like gets a some Oh, we are
0: forgetting also how the um, grinding guitars that we haven't even mentioned that are fairly repetitive, duh, reset every time we get to the pre-chorus. The pre-chorus goes into this...
2: We, we read every single line from these songs. We just don't repeat them as much as they do.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, it's just... It, it, and then it resets and then goes back into that grinding rift right after it.
2: And so they go back into the same exact verse and just frickin' did. Why? Why? There's, some of these songs are almost a continuous chorus. We just divide it between verse and chorus because that's what we're used to. But when you're repeating the same words over and over again, you don't have a verse one, verse two. And by now I'm so angered by the endings
0: that they're doing. He says Metalizer four or five times just over and
2: over and over and over. And over, I feel like a metalizer. Over, stop. Again. I feel like a metalizer is a wizard of rock that would show up and touch you, and you would turn into some sort of punk rock, metal, death metal, heavy metal, something like you would automatically get black leather and
1: spikes all over your body, like that. Okay. I've been silent lately because I'm trying to read these lyrics and trying to analyze it and from all possible angles Including that one including of course the, the Midas thing like he touches you and actually turns you to metal or or he is metal himself But of course there's also the genre and of course the genre is probably what they're getting at because the, the, they are the genre and they've been Nothing, but the genre and nothing even remotely close to a a, a branch out of that genre on this album, so then I realize that there's absolutely nothing to support that. I believe No, no, really. Like there's in these lyrics, there's nothing that that says that he will do anything remotely close to that. It literally is just the word because apparently all of these these um experiences are just linked to being metal. And I don't mean the material. I mean I mean being a metalhead. I mean, that's the only thing I can come up with because that's the only connection I can find with his experience, the Metalizer's experience, thrusting from a grave of unholy earth, giving all his worth, let the dam be saved, all that evil sin buried underground, feeling safe and sound in his deadly skin. Heard the cry of pain, so he's wide awake. No, for heaven's sake, he's become insane. How we feared the worst of a world gone mad. Never been so bad with the curse of his immortal soul. It's This is gibberish. It's his background that suddenly leads to him, I can only presume, doing what you said, John, making other people like him, which is simply the Metalhead. There's just no connection here whatsoever. There is no through line in this track. They could have gone any number of clever directions with this, including the the whole Midas touch business. It's simply not there. He will find you, goes for your throat, he'll mesmerize you, he's the Metalizer. Gibberish! Gibberish. Downright gibberish, and I'm moving
0: on. Wait. Yes, please. Okay. Yes, we're moving on to... You get caught up in the crossfire.
1: Sorry. So, the crossfire.
0: I'm entertaining myself at this point. Oh, because yeah, I didn't, I'm menc- I, I, I
1: didn't mention one thing about the previous track, and that's also the way he sings. Has I, 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 I'm still sticking a little bit with the, the parody here, only because... Um, the self parody only because of the way he sings. Just seems like he knows this is bull, and that is his yeah. <laughs> he, that slow vibrato, which is you know, it, it's 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 laughable. It's just it's downright laughable. Plenty of people do laughable stuff that's not parody. All right, now we're moving to Crossfire. The opening riff, yay! So it anybody, has this kind of... anybody in the audience, just think. For five seconds, I give you five seconds, please listen to this track, and listen to that opening riff, the phrase, the single phrase, particularly the first half of that phrase in the guitar, and tell me what song comes to mind based on your classic rock knowledge. I give you five. No, no dead silence on podcasts, that's bad news. It's Purple Haze, or at least.
0: The bastard child So the first of thing Haze I wrote down music. when I heard this song was a groovy guitar riff intro.
2: Awesome, something to. Di- oh, it's from something else. Fuck. Here's the whole thing. <laughs> Why Haze. do I like that? Oh, right, because a much better musician did it. I'm, I'm, we're, I'm trying to figure it out. Me and Steve looking at each other. Storm's chiming in. Like, hey, wait, no, guys, I know what it is. I know what it is. Me and Steve, what is it? What is it? I go to Soundhound. It's like hum into the mic, and I hum into the mic, and I realize I'm not humming the song. I'm humming purple haze and that's that eureka moment. Oh, they are directly taking the down now down, now down, down idea and do nothing with it. Yep,
1: the song, <laughs> the song is song That's pointless. a little uh, delivery there. But it's true, because then that's the first, obviously the, the A section of that phrase, but then there's a B, part B, and that is the conclusion that you would find in Purple Haze. But then that doesn't do that. This kind here. of just does, dribbles off. It dribbles off into something that is nowhere near as memorable, which means you're only left with that, well, if you were having the same problem we were, you're left with, what is that first five seconds? What is that first five seconds? That The chorus
0: is... Caught in the crossfire, you gotta let go. Caught in the crossfire, you gotta get let go. Oh,
1: what you thought you were gonna get a get a track on this album without them repeating the track? No, no. Why
0: I'm laughing is because they might as well have written the chorus as "You get caught up in the crossfire." It might have been more imaginative than their chorus. Oh no! Just saying. Don't forget, they're also
2: now just not even not even taking taglines, but famous quotes. Opium for the masses. Blind leads the blind, messed with your mind, ruled by the gun, breaking, find your own solution. Breaking all the rules. Losing your religion, searing on the Bible, doesn't matter what order, I'm randomly plucking lines. This is, there is no continuity. Matter. It doesn't matter. There is the no continuity.
1: I got, I'm, I really got to call, this is just a joke. They're but having you get, fun. But They're you They're having fun with, with what they know they can get away with. You do, you do get. There, now, now, now. I
0: refuse. I, to be- I refuse
1: to be- believe. No, I refuse to believe that someone wrote this fluidly and said, "Ah, that is a piece." Sorry, I can't buy that it's parody. I'm refuting it. So. <laughs> I don't believe you it's a parody. Keep going
2: with it. All right. I just feel like they're. I, I but feel I like... feel
1: like they're. They, they. I feel like they hung up their hat. Maybe who knows?
0: Next song. Um, Secrets of the Dead. <laughs> right. I'm just taking us yeah, through Yeah, why
1: not? Secrets and, of the Dead. Okay. So we, wait, wait, wait. No, no, wait. we
2: haven't got it yet. We haven't No, got no, it no yet. we
1: did this. Wait, hold on. This does have the 80s twang guitar back, and I yep. did like that. And the intro along with The
0: intro actually builds to something. It doesn't just monotonous, monotonously move on to the chorus. It actually builds to something. The verses actually had a little something interesting going on. But then it moves into these I'm doing finger quotes audience
1: haunting choruses. That are just so repetitive. Right. And how did they do that? Of course, it does that by beginning with bells. It be, it, the bells actually, I mean, you know, secrets of the dead. You think dead. You think, uh, I mean, church, this, this is pretty removed. funeral. Church, out church, funeral. your dead. That's, that's actually kind Dang. of removed when you, th- when you think about it. You know, dead equals religious equals church yeah. equals bells. No, 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 no. But no. now the bell tolls for thee. That's one
2: thing. No, 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 that, no. That's a relation. He, he had the right quote. This is the Monty Python version of that. Bring out your dead ring. Bring kinda out sorta, your dead.
1: Kind of, sort of. Well, Lyrics don't support that. Not really. Maybe. Huh? No, <laughs> no. Monty
2: Python as in it's making fun of what originally existed. You the
0: chorus is actually and in fact secrets of the dead. Secrets. Of the dead.
2: No, 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 no. There's more to it. Only later on, we they let, do. No, no we, no. we let ourselves be bled. Secrets of the dead. Time takes us down so deep. Is this the place we seek? And then you get a lot of the title being repeated over and over again. Um, the only thing
1: parody-wise or laughable here is our reactions to the songs. I mean, I like. Is the, this the place we seek? Are they dumb? Are they seeking death is that like an is it is oh, that I thought a, that was an actual lyric cuz I would have believed it no no that's the, is this the place we seek is a is line and I'm I mean that's so silly <laughs> time takes us down so deep they're obviously already like death is upon them and then the question in is is rhetorically is this the place we seek obviously not you don't want to be dead <laughs> I, just, I hate this so much Ah, that's a harsh word nah, no, it's silly it's just it's silly it's downright silly and then when you add, add the music with it, it's again just a repetitive riff it's sort of these did you know the three the three sixteenth notes over and over and over again. the three groups of of sixteenth notes with the accents uh sort of moved around as they see fit um don't forget the soundbite nature of the lyrics otherwise oh yeah that was interesting where
2: angels fear to tread secrets of the dead so can I
0: tell you that because oh wait I don't want to cut you guys off is there anything else you have to say about secrets of the
2: dead not without being ruder great let's move on to battle cry drums and guitar were playing it was cool (laughs)
0: Which is pretty much my reaction. Steve is stealing from the beginning when we were listening to that the podcast, the listening to the album. Okay, so the final track. Oh, uh, no, no, and f- the slowdown
1: at the end. Sorry, transition when it's, when they when they actually do the very dramatic slowdown at the end of this track. Like they're dying. Maybe. Maybe. Wow, yeah. Wow, connection.
0: Into battle cry. Bingo. Battle cry. Yay! Something was, epic was was yeah. It was parrot a. Par- Okay, it's almost a parody of an epic song.
2: Yeah, let me rephrase that. Finally, something epic.
0: Yeah. But the chorus in this one, because I'm just jumping straight to the choruses at this point because it's the meat of the rip-up, is battle cry, death defy, battle cry, never die. And then I yelled, apple pie. (laughs)
2: Because
0: that's what this is. They're literally just rhyming phrases. It doesn't matter, uh, apple pie... Um, God's Eye.
1: Oh me oh my. Why uh, oh why? Firefly. I want to die. I hate I this. Wanna, I wanna I, I, this. I said... <laughs> well, don't want to
2: do this anymore. Well don't forget we also have some very interesting verse work. Indestructible by choice, valor rings out with the voice.
1: The Rail voice. the
2: consequence, destiny's the flag you hoist. Okay. Whose flag? So rail the consequence is actually mean, meaning of nothing. It means nothing. The consequence of what? There's no context. Valor rings out mm. with the voice. Whose voice? And how are you indestructible by choice? Like what what is being implied here? Nothing. Lead the nation for the crown. Serve the orders coming
1: down. Charge ahead oh, with oh. pride. Guard the chivalry you've shown. I mean, I believe, no, I I'm I want to I just take a serious note here. I do believe there, like, there, I, I see the meaning behind this in a, the vaguest of senses. But here's the thing, this is a very common mistake for, let's say, a, a high school poetry, um, poetry buff, for instance. I mean, obviously there's no poetry classes necessarily in high school, so if you write poetry and that's your shtick in high school, well, great for you. Maybe you'll be a great writer someday, but I very much doubt that you are now. Here's the thing. A common mistake is, very often, you have an idea. It's great in your head. And then the, the, the notion is that when you want to be a great writer, what you will have to do is cloud it in vagaries. And that's, that's what you have to do. But that's, that's the worst thing you can do. They're
2: cutting off all the other words that give you context. Oh, wait, but there's context later at the end of the song.
0: Resolution, absolution, with my battle cry. Ex... exonertion... Exoneration. Con- oh, exoneration, <laughs> condemnation with my battle you cry. You are tired. Exoneration.
2: I know that word. Did, okay. I have a John moment. Exoneration,
1: condemnation, the phrase, the tenses, your tenses are wrong. Your Particles of speech. Are oh, it's a wrong. comma. Come on. Exoneration, condemnation with my battle cry. I mean, the commas imply their restitution, absolution with my battle cry. It's just... Not it, the way he says it. Not the way he says it. As I recall, it was said that way, but I could be mistaken. Um, here's the thing. I don't know. I I, I almost want to just, like, step off the lyrics here, because the lyrics are just dragging down the music when the music can otherwise be, you know, impressive at times. For instance, here, in the beginning, the beginning, you do have a variant in this track. Texture is actually a little bit varying. It's a little bit more intense than perhaps the previous tracks were, even though there's still this consistent through line of just faux intensity. And then you also have this this variant in Rhythm, you have this hemiola sort of in... in I mean, actually, it's, that's actually kind of a commonality in most of these tracks, come to think of it. You know what? The hemiola is actually pretty much there all the way through, The at least in terms of the accents. The way it's accented, it's accented in, in this sort of like three against four kind of thing. Um the chorus melodically is strong, but it's silly. Battle cry, death defied. Battle cry, never die. Same thing. You just <laughs> already reiterated. It's silly, even though I may like the the otherwise, you know, the the background musically. And then there's that vibrato. The vibrato comes roaring back, and it's just it's. I I don't I don't like it. <laughs> I don't like it at this point because it feels forced. It feels like the kind of thing that you have to do in order to to over overly make something epic you know when you need to kind of force feed it to people this is an epic story it's an epic story it's an epic story so let me just sing it out ah, and just let that vibrato fade into the night yeah, the worst thing it's you could e- does. the worst thing you could
0: ever do is tell someone before you tell them a story dude I got an epic story bro it's epic. It's so epic, epic. It's the, I call it the Peter Molyneux effect I Peter. call it the Billy Armstrong effect when okay. he said
1: the tray was going to be
0: Epic. Well, I had explained it then, too. Peter Molyneux is a well-known game designer who created all of the Fable games for the Xbox. Every time, he always said, X, Y, and Z are going to be in the game. It's going to be amazing. And then they were either not in the game or they were in the game and they weren't amazing. And he, He's a great hype man. Except he never lives up to his own hype, there so nobody cares
1: anymore. Mm. So and, to be fair, this is only slightly more cheeky in the fact that it never actually says it's epic. It merely just overstates it you know, by it's, a million yards our, every single wink, track.
2: Wink wink nudge nudge. Yeah
1: Yeah, that's no, it. No no no. I'm yeah, a low that, key yeah, kind of it. guy exactly. with
2: awesomeness flowing through my veins.
0: Bingo. Okay. Moving on to the final track of the record, we've made it to the end. This song is called Beginning of the End. Um so remember how No, let's just be upfront about it. I love this track. It's amazing. It's actually amazing. Like, actually I'm not amazing. using that word Go loosely. It's actually an incredible song. And easily, I'd say a 4.55 song. Easily. The problem is, it's the last track on a 13-track hour-long album of heavy metal. This song, much slower, beautiful, spooky. It, it, it really rings with a classic slow metal song it reminds me of stuff like Nothing Else Matters and uh, Mama I'm Coming Home by Ozzy it's got this
1: great haunting longing sound that's truly beautiful. It's also the only track that puts the album together in the vaguest of ways but that is of course that if you get the fact that there is some kind of heroic battle occurring over the, cross, over the course of every single track here, even though you're just getting snapshots of it here, snapshots of it there. This is clearly the moment of death. And you feel it. You, you feel do. it passing this away. This is the first time in you 12 feel slip. previous tracks there's no
0: emotion. Finally, on track 13 of a 13-track album, I get a sense of emotion. It's almost heartbreaking for multiple reasons heartbreaking because the song is a truly heartbreaking song and heartbreaking because I'm so annoyed that I hadn't gotten anything like this sooner
2: and words where were these words I have lyrics I have lyrics I like and I see my life pass quickly by I am watching all these years we thought we were so wise they mean nothing okay right off the bat actually using descriptive imagery. Actually approaching the song as storytelling as opposed to just something epic to get out of his mouth.
0: We finally get a chorus that's not cheesy and cheeky. Is actually poignant without saying a lot. So lay me down. Lay me to rest. It's over now because I know it's the beginning of the end.
2: It's delivered with actual passion for what he's saying instead of Being a hype man. It
0: sounds like the voice of a dying hero. He's speaking his last words to his best friend who's leaning over him
2: as he dies. He's lonely. He's contemplative. Things are being built. You're having a, a melodramatic feeling being put into this without it becoming overblown. It is sweet and soft and depressing. And everything that he was going for he's achieving with this song the music is pairing up this is really the only place where it doesn't feel like two separate tracks being laid upon each other this is actual continuity between the the instruments and what they're doing and how he's singing why he's singing what he's singing forget this this is the cherry on top of the worst pie of, of, of metal music we could have gotten. I don't want to curse, but I want to say F you to this. Because this is just mean.
1: At this point, it just becomes mean. It's it's. I mean, it establishes exactly what their purpose was. And that is, of course, they... I mean, you know, what the, can I say? I like to write about battles and things that, are, that may or may not be epic, you know, in their eyes. But obviously... To me, an epic story is not merely the setting, such as, for instance, Star Wars isn't just cool because there's ships and guns. It's cool because of the characters and because of the intrigue that's there, and the way it's shot, and all these uh, and the music, and all these other things that have to go together in the right little uh, cohesive manner in order to produce this product that, that affects so many people. This hones in on just one thing, and that is just the flesh. The flesh, the, the, the pizzazz. And then it does give you the sweet ending. I mean, obviously, you'd have to be a pretty cold person to even not care if a character who you've otherwise ignored is on his deathbed. And that scene, at least, is shot well. And for
0: me, I have to say something about Judas Priest that I never thought I'd ever say. But they hit the Aerosmith Syndrome. What I mean by that is, they're talented musicians. There's no denying that. There's not a moment in this album except for maybe some of the lyric writing where we'd say it's complete horseshit because it's not they're talented musicians the problem is we don't want to hear a math talented musician album from judas priest one of the biggest metal bands to have ever lived we want something more glorious along the lines of at least to a point what we got out of 13 by black sabbath like you felt this comeback at least at points in that record it left you wanting more but not because there wasn't enough there it was just because of how powerful it was this left me wanting more because i just got very digestible
1: basic heavy metal i don't want that if i want that i'll listen to their older stuff it's also amazing how when you get down to, to breast tax you're looking at this track and and you have a track that has some meaning behind it Perhaps it's not a coincidence that of course, that is the track that they start moving. It's like the emotion kind of carried their idea forward. Whereas perhaps originally they were just writing tracks, uh, the earlier tracks in this album, they were just sort of written to be written and then fulfilled the very basic idea that was on the paper. This track, the music, carried forward because of the idea. We actually had a modulation here which I didn't think was even possible in these tracks. I mean basically it's just a lot of ones and fives and, and then fours and then it kind of you know does these these overly elaborate uh, recomposition back to the one. Uh, and then of course the solo usually is just picked on you know one set solid uh, group of chords. And and that never changes. And then it predictably follows those chords. This felt like it had motion to it. I really couldn't predict where it was going necessarily. And it progressively got more intense as it went on. I'm not saying that it's not compl- that there's not any cliché moments in it. Part of the the whole aura is is you know that sort of 80s noir feel. But yet that was so unique for this album that it, it's. It really should have been the focus of this album. And it also proves that, you know, you can't just have a... You can't just ignore, ignore your music for that many tracks and then give the, the ending with a bang, or, in this case, perhaps a whimper. You really have to integrate that throughout. You have to give some kind of idea that there is going to be a build here, that there's going to be an arc as opposed to a flat line, and then a, a peak, a little star, a little glimmer of hope. That's just... That's not how people listen to music. So who's gonna wrap up? Uh, My
2: pick, i go last. Go for it, guys. Fight to the death. How come nobody ever who takes a pick decides to go first? Uh, we haven't done that in over Rochelle 100 episodes. I'll go.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> it is a Judas Priest album. I don't... It's so hard to say more because it's exactly what you've heard from Judas Priest. It's like getting the 5th or 6th or 7th in a series because it is that kind of a piece. It's 17th album. It's it's there's no longer a freshness to it. That this beast of has 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 run has run its course. It's it's done. I'm mixing my metaphors. <laughs> um <laughs> it's like a movie th- series that just goes on two or three sequels way too long it's like a book series that you just they they did the resolution of the main story after 14 books but there's 32 of them you don't need this much information you don't need this much of the same story Scooby-Doo is still gonna find out that it was the janitor the whole time that's how predictable it is there's nothing here besides the last track and it's so disappointing That even though the last track does have a little bit of a trope to it, does have a little bit of a cliche to it, it still is a solid like four-star, really emotional, great headliner type of a track. You can build songs, other songs around it. You can build themes around this sort of piece. Because it has investment into it. I don't feel any investment in the actual music for the rest of this album. It feels like practice. It feels like let's try something out. Let's just put things together and see what comes out of it. It's throwing stuff at the wall and seeing what sticks. What stuck was the same stuff that would have stuck the previous 16 albums. Oh Man, it's a two. It's a solid two. The technicality is there, but it's so much just useless, which is what keeps it out of the one range, just because it's technical. They have skills, they have chops. Their fingers are really fast. Good for you. A beat machine could do it at the same speeds.
1: What else you got? Here, they've got nothing. Okie dokie. Um, yeah, you covered most of that. <laughs> uh, I'm going to do something I've never done before. 2.1. 2.1, and I think you know exactly what the point one is for. 2 is basically what we give anything that is just like, well, you can't call it crap only because, of course, there's something glaring you in the face, and that is, yeah, they're good musicians. They're good musicians. And it's not even to say that the one realm is like is like bad musicians, that you suddenly fall off the mark. But, you know, I, I do believe that one thing that keeps you from being in, in a one field is uh, is the fact that you have practiced, the fact that you've taken time to put something together, and you have a... a semi-cohesive product, and I'm not saying this is thoroughly cohesive, but it is semi-cohesive. It's, it's a war, it's a war, battle, story, mythologic, I don't know, it's, it's that album in the metal section with that cover that you've seen a billion times. It is that. And I'm sorry because that's, tends to be my, 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 my go-to, uh, slant, uh, only because when I go to the metal section, I'm, I, I actually do want more inventive metal. It's something that intrigues me. It's a genre that has has always intrigued me because it, 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 it always bragged about having the raw intensity. And as humans, we love to feel some raw intensity of whatever kind of emotion. It certainly does not have to be the same emotion over and over again. And it certainly does not have to be the standard go-to mythological epic storyline that so many metal out metal bands love to just keep telling over and over again. I don't mean to dispute the genre, but there's just something here that I feel is not being recognized within. I don't feel like I don't feel like the genre is self-checking itself. And again, I don't mean to speak to the genre so broadly, but it's just I'm astounded at how frequently it occurs. Other genres have their have their problems that they go back to over and over. Well, this is this genre's problem, in my opinion. It's what keeps them uh, being a joke in many people's eyes, and it will never wake up people to what metal can do. This album is just, it's it's, it's a dead end. It will, it will steer people away, and it will reinforce their belief that, yeah, metal's exactly what I always thought it was, and uh, not for me. That, not the message we want to be sending. Brings me back to, of course, my point one, my point one is that this offered little doses of advancement. Last track, we've already said that I don't really need to explain that much more, I think John said the perfect thing, it's a cherry on top of a really crappy cake. And uh, I think it's worth going to, I think it's worth checking that track out for sure, but leave the rest of the album in the dust. It's astounding to, to me that the, the that the, it was ever paired except for the purposes of, of course, the death of a really boring hero. Um, and then the only other reason is is that one little stanza, which, you know, I, I, I said very, very early on, perhaps perhaps two or three years ago in, in my my joining of this project, two years ago, uh, that, that music to me is not often only about the whole cohesive picture, which I believe we've been overly honing in on. I, I think that's sometimes the only... Uh, the thing that grabs us in the end because a cohesive project with a uh, with an a, a, a theme that runs through various tracks is just so such an impressive thing for us that many times we we end up leaving out other things that have brilliance in their own and that is the moments of music the moments which in my case is the 30 seconds that was the stanza in sort of Damocles halfway through look for it it's brilliant i would take that snapshot and play it over and over and over on the piano, trying to see what I could get out of that. With lyrics, with vocals combined, it's just a brilliant moment. The rest, they were asleep. They were asleep while they were on some pretty intense uh, intense pills, but they were asleep. My only counterpoint to that,
0: Steve, is as a musician, maybe you can find pleasure in the moments and read an album that way, but as a person listening to music... You can't... I mean, you can chop up a song on an audio engineer program and then listen to just those moments. Realistically, you can't. Realistically, even if you take a song that's bad but has good moments, you're not going to listen to an entire bad song for those good moments.
1: I realistically, I disagree with you wholeheartedly. In, I would in as today's well. age, that is fully within our grasp. That may not have been a possibility when you, you know, had to sort of listen to the musician play, and unless... You were some kind of asshole who was just like, yeah, play that section over and over again, or I'll whip you. you. Yeah, that wasn't really an option then. But today, with a track bar, it is within everyone's grasp, and we can learn from it. We can learn from certain moments. And I have repeated things, even short things, to death, and learned a lot from them.
2: Learn scores from I mean, that may
0: be, but, but I don't think the average music listener is going to do that, though, is what I'm saying. That's their that's they're failing then I just I don't I, when we always talk about the pop culture mainstream music listener for an album like this they're not going to go out of their way to find then those then that's moments. not who I'm
1: talking to I'm oh. talking to what I would hope is, is, our, is our main fan base and that is people who care about music as much as us as much as we do which is of course obsess over tracks and talk about them at length I think that's exactly the kind of thing that they might do is replay sections and and get as much out of it as i am sure um for me
0: i mean there's nothing else to really say you guys talked this album to the death and we went way longer on an album we had nothing to say about than i thought we would but i don't know it's just it's depressing to me as someone who's a diehard metal listener and i recently rediscovered some of my favorite metal bands that i hadn't been listening to in a while I was so jazzed by 13 and thought, oh, you know, maybe... And and I actually really liked Metallica's last album, Death Magnetic. It wasn't perfect, but I liked it. So I thought, you know, oh, I could... You know, maybe this album will have some good stuff. And it really didn't. Um, We reviewed Bare Naked Ladies on episode... Steve, episode...
1: Oh, uh, episode 53, greeting
0: Street. And I rated them at a 2. Because even though there are three songs on that album that I love and listen to a lot, it was still a two. It was still a band with talent doing mediocre work. And that's what this is. Even though there's less songs that I like on it, that one song showed a whole whole lot of promise and will definitely come up in our year-end review, without a doubt for me. That said, this album is still piss-poor, even for metal, and even for what I like. And I'm a lot more open to lesser quality music that entertains me than most. And I can't get anything from this. So it's a two. Um, I expected so much better of this band. It's hard to ignore their discography. It's really hard to ignore their talent, especially since they're displaying it throughout the entire record, but not really doing anything with it. You know, this to the same capacity that Green Day was kicking themselves in the ass on their three album trilogy. Because we all know they're capable of great things. They put out American Idiot. But yet, those three albums were more or less atrocious. They put out Nimrod. They put out Dookie. I'm just saying, but... There's so much. But pop culture-wise, American Idiot was like the pinnacle of where they were going to become a a mainstream rock band. And they followed it up not too badly, and then they... Pissed it all the way. And I liked the last couple of albums for Judas Priest, but this one just did nothing for me. This is in the same vein as Jimmy Eat World. It's forgettable and disappointing as a fan.
1: Fair enough. I I mean, this. I mean, basically, what we have here is two two twos and a two point one. And uh, I mean, I don't know. The only thing I can I can say about my point one, even though I'm not gonna like sit here and and like argue for for that extra point one, is just sort of an explanation as to what I think. You know, a, a, a two to me is, is, a, is an album that is, is boring, almost boring front to back, but you have to accept they're good musicians, but maybe there were a few three-star ideas, because if it was lacking any three-star ideas, then I do think it would be down in the one range. Um, to me, this was an album that had a few four-star, four-star ideas in an otherwise vacant background, and I think that's something that's very underlooked when it comes to music. It's very easy to gloss over an idea. Very easy to gloss over a brilliant idea in your violent rage against said artists, and that's something that I just want to advocate, because a lot of people tend to be very objective. I mean, they can't be objective in that regard. They have made up their mind about a said piece of art based on their given work, and then they can't get past that given work for whatever brilliant thing that artist has done. That's worth the point one. It seems trite, but it's there. And
2: some of the most brilliant ideas come through in artistic solos. We talked a lot about solos today, and solos, especially and most iconically, the guitar solo in today's day age. But when you go back into, you know, fifties, forties, thirties, or the more outside the mainstream type music, <laughs> I'll correct you. Or world.
1: underground. You get solos. A solo artist... I'll correct you just a little bit. Uh, we, would, a sol- we would have liked to have talked about solos more today. Yes. We talked about them a little bit. I don't, think, I, don't I would not say ideas. we talked about them a lot. And we should have talked about them a lot because, you know, that solos, they, they are room for talking. But frankly, many of these solos left a lot to be desired. But we want to sort of investigate, you know, what is it about a solo particularly that in, invites all this intense discussion? Um...
0: Well, I think at the core of it, at the very nice. start, at the very core, a solo is a moment to feature a skill or talent above the rest of the music or singing. It's, it's a focus on an intense skill, which I, I think
2: is what makes them very engaging. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even go further than that. I would say it's forcing you to acknowledge the prowess of an artist. That, that to me is what a solo is. Not just a showcasing. A good solo makes you believe in what
1: they're producing. Makes
2: you believe in their notes.
1: And as per John's whole premise for this segue, which I think is, is, is perfect. It's also an exploration of the single ideas, not just necessarily the skill level that, that, that it takes in order to achieve said ideas, but the ideas themselves. And the fact that when you execute a solo, you are kind of downloading this, this, this continuous stream of ideas from, from the ether to your audience they're being formed right before your very eyes. Sometimes there's a rubric for the I- for these ideas. Very often there's a basic rubric for these ideas, but the ideas themselves that are coming out, they may very well have never been done before. That is brand new. It is straight from the horse's mouth. And that kind of thing is 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 really interesting to investigate because that's what breeds inspiration in many other areas in not just writing full on song full on songs like you know, from the ground up, or perhaps the idea that might come from a solo that gives you the idea for a whole entire riff for a song or for a verse or for a melody, but even ideas for what other people do in the rest of life. They hear a simple little phrase, and it makes them feel a certain little way, even if it may only last for two seconds. You now have a mood.
2: And solos, I've always been used differently by different types of music. This is where it it starts breaking up the idea and you just can't say it's a good solo. You have to start getting into why and in what context. Because if you look in a more classical sense, solos solos were just showcasing that specific instrument. And in some cases, that specific person and their ability with a violin or a cello or some sort of magical piece of, a ki- of, of instrument in that orchestra. It doesn't always have to be an instrument. It could be... A purely uh, a, Vocal a vocalist but it's because in that case there's so much competing people in an orchestra that sometimes you do need to create that moment with an individual to supersede what the orchestra itself is doing
1: i think that's one of the reasons it was it was born out because i do i, I think there was this moment especially um in the, in the classical era where where sort of The wall of sound might actually get to you after a while it kind of goes back to various other things that we've dipped in and out of in other discussions like for instance the uh, the 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 arena or the or the Orchestra Hall versus the um the small intimate venue with perhaps only one or two musicians There's a there's a change in mood there and sometimes very often uh, I think is, is probably the case with the majority of people that they feel a lot more closely connected to the intimate experience not because the the melody in the grand orchestra didn't necessarily get to them, but because the, the individual nature of it was, was somehow lacking. I mean, when people go out on their daily walk and their daily routine, they don't always encounter epic storylines. They don't always encounter something that warrants this great tale to be told. They like reading about it, which is why we immerse ourselves in science fiction, fantasy. But it's not always a staple of our daily life, and people like to see reflections of our daily life. That kind of thing is is ideal to be told through the individual, through the soloist. Well,
0: and also I find that if you're in that wall of sound, say for an orchestra, just to use an example, and then a specific single performer solos, it gives you a more personal one-on-one connection, because most humans connect much more
2: easily one-on-one than in a group. It allows you to place yourself within the context
1: of that epic tale, to some extent. Mm Mm-hmm. And... it but, gives you perspective too right because of course that's the character they're in there's always a character that you're following in the epic tale and some a soloist could capture that character but rock and roll doesn't do it the
2: same way punk don't do it the same way pop even techno you could mm-hmm. almost call some parts of techno as solo like when they drop everything but the bass that's a, that's a thing of if you don't know techno. That is well, thing. and
0: also, I mean, DJs of the day that, that were doing
2: well—not like, even really just hit.
0: techno, but DJs of the day who do scratching and mixing.
2: You can solo with scratching as well. You go reverb. You go to hit those, those kind of notes that you can only hear on the edge of your of your actual ability to hear but
1: mostly just feel it in your teeth and your toes. In short, even if it's not the personal connection, sometimes it's just about the head turning nature of it because the wall of sound can, can get you comfortable after a while and then all of a sudden you, you break that texture by honing it in on one thing and it's a spotlight and people will always follow the spotlight. I mean, if the spotlight wasn't there before, then eh, you're distracted, or you just kind of like you know, you could be staring through the story, you could be staring through the characters, and just zoning out. But then all of a sudden, the spotlight is there, and your your whole attention is forced to sort of redistribute, and and normally it's all very hyper focused on that solo. So, a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of stakes are raised usually for a soloist, which is why it's not often done. And then you just oh, not get, always done. Excuse you me. get people that, when they're in the right context, just know how to take what they're
2: saying, take what they're singing and producing in the melody, and just expand upon it. You Talk people like we love to talk about uh, Jimi Hendrix. We talked about him a little bit today. There's Santana, Eric Clapton. Like mm-hmm. these are people that you give them a Gibson, for anything. Give them a string tied to two pieces of wood held far apart. They will be able to do something with it. They'll be able to pluck it and just take that all along the wash tower and turn it into the piece that everybody knows. Turn it into that experience where... I'm going to refute a little bit of what Matt said. You will sit through that song just to hear them start hitting those notes. You will sit through the Eagles entire piece of Hotel California just to hear that outro and as it expands and builds upon itself. Yeah, nowadays it's kind of tropey because we've heard it a thousand times, but I still get a little bit of a rush when they're done singing and they say, you can never leave here and, and it goes into that guitar piece because it still represents something in this case. When a soloist is doing, is doing that, when they're building a story just with
1: their instruments as opposed to the words they built, it's,
2: it can be magical.
1: Right and this is this is connected with a with a recent discussion we had when we dis- uh, talked about um, back in episode 102 when we talked about fish and we our discussion was was imp- improvisation and, and solo wing, which may or may not involve an isolated incident. Sometimes, of course, in that case, you have a jam band, which all, everything is just, you know, it's one big continuous solo. But this is more about the, 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 the iconic piece, exactly what John is describing, the thing that everybody waits for. And a lot of times, I mean, it's almost contrary to the solo, with the fact that we take it and we record it, and it is eternalized when of course it was born out of out of nothing like i said it was it was improvisatory at the time and it may very well have just been lost if it were not for the recording age then suddenly we take these ideas and it's snapshots of exactly what an artist was thinking at that moment as opposed to something that was planned and rigorously structured to deliver a certain message solos they as i said have a rubric very often, there's usually a chordal progression that they follow, but within that, within that is all this wonderful freedom, like like dancing on a stairwell. You eventually get to the top, but you could do whatever you want on your way there. That said, though, of course, with the good, there's the bad. Something that can be
0: overwhelming about soloing is when you exaggerate or overstate your welcome. We often have mentioned on the podcast when solos get masturbatory, and what we mean by that, we're not just being dirty for dirty's sake. The idea that a guitarist playing a riff or several riffs on a guitar
1: solo... He's a too in love with his own ideas. Yeah,
0: perhaps. you know, it's a self-aggrandizing, masturbatory feeling in the fact that he's playing because the only reason he's soloing is not to show off something beautiful and intricate, intricate,
2: but more so to just go, hey, look how awesome I, can- I am. It's like I have... 30 fingers, that's how I'm playing this. One of my favorite little things that kind of just belies that that whole idea that you have to be great to be a solo is uh, Blink-182, the Mark, Tom, and Travis show, where there's this one point during a song they're not very good artists, I'll put that out there. Not at this time. Where they, what Mark just yells out, it's the slow, pretty part, and it's a really simple just three chord progression of the guitar doesn't really go anywhere but it really is the slow pretty part (laughs) also uh,
1: cool down it does a lot to the song itself Just as an interjection that's a uh, that's a perfect example of the of the on the nose self-parody (laughs) yes yes and It's it's the slow pretty part they know it and they know you want it and they're gonna give it to you it's very it's quite simple and uh... if you can pull that off with ease then more power to you but like in the album we reviewed today, a lot of the solos just felt very, especially in the beginning of the record,
0: like self-aggrandizing. Like, yep, we're Judas Priest. We do awesome guitar work. Here's some awesome
1: guitar work. Because we're just going to throw it into this song because awesome guitar work sounds great. And there and was better. not the the guise of uh, of self-parody necessarily there. No. Instead, maybe you can find it if you want, but it, it all just, you know, it's all about delivery. And if it comes off, off as cliche, then it's going to be hard. And like we spoke
2: a few weeks ago about how perfect pitch is not everything if you don't have the inflection. A solo is that inflection of the instrument. Yes, technicality, you can play every note exactly as it's meant to be, but sometimes you don't want to do that. Sometimes it's the inflection that you're putting in the guitar, or the saxophone, or the violin, or the pan flute, doesn't really matter. It's, it's, it's about being human, of showing a little glimpse of that, but also trying to make something greater than what humanity thinks it can attain. It, it, there's so much to it. it. It's being simple, everyday guy, but yet still epic. There's so many things that you can do with a solo by being imperfect, by not being in pitch, by being outside the box, by just trying to be emotional as opposed to being technical.
1: Technical. And I actually once had a a, a professor who said, uh, there are no wrong notes, of course there aren't any wrong notes. Every note is fair game if you can spin it correctly, which means there may be, not necessarily wrong, but poor directions. Uh, and then along with poor directions, that would of course apply to the novice who engages in a solo and then loses sight of his idea. But it also applies to the the experienced soloist, when you engage in, in a direction that is so tried and true, it leaves you it leaves the audience nothing to the imagination. And it just follows the same that, that follows the pattern of the chords. And then you have to sit sit back and say, Well, I know the chordal progression, because of course the chord progression was stated to me in the earlier part of the song. So I know what I'm going to get in that department, but what is the solo going to be doing that is so drastically different from the melody? And even if it's different, let it take me somewhere. Let it explore what those four chords can do. That's the mark of a great solo.
0: Now, I have a question for Steve, mostly because he's usually the knowing, all-knowing music guru when it comes to more technical, instrumental stuff. Um, can Is there such a thing as an instrument
1: Or vocal style that cannot solo? An instrument or a vocal style that cannot solo? I'm going to say no. No way. Which is, I obviously knew the answer to, but worth bringing up. The
0: idea that you can also kind of make a solo what you want it to be. I mean, obviously, we all have ideas in our head what a typical guitar solo sounds like. You can picture it in your head immediately, Mm -hmm. you know, and hear it. Same for a drum solo. A lot of rolls, a lot
1: of those sexy saxes, you know. We have instruments that we definitely expect to be the soloists. Um, So I think those are the words that that really lend to the answer. No, uh, when you said can. I mean, can, of course, they all can. Some lend themselves better, but only by our expectations. Right. And it's just interesting to me that that you can really go in any direction with a
0: solo, yet typically in cliche rock and roll, it leads towards the guitar, drums, bass solos less often. It does, but less often than the other two.
1: Because usually it has a very rigid job it has to do. But then you take
0: a guy like Les Claypool, who we've mentioned many a time on the podcast, who played the entire first half of Master of Puppets guitar, lead guitar, on bass, including the solos, which is not easy.
1: And then, of course, there's Jaco Pistorius. I mean, Jaco Pastorius, as a uh, as a bassist, he, he was known as being one of the the kings of soloing because he could take his bass and make it melodic in a way that people barely even thought possible. Same could be said of Flea from Red Hot Jelly Peppers as well.
2: And then there's the solos that aren't quite solo, the duets, or the triplets. Where you have two instruments actually doing the job of maybe just the guitar. The conversational types. And those are still solos.
0: Well,
1: because they're solo from the group. There's still an overarching group that those instruments are stepping out from. Where the rest of the instruments take a back seat and sort of hold the fort, and then those two, yeah, they step out and then they kind of just... Play around, or excuse I mean, my take language? Maybe they
2: comp, maybe they compete, maybe... It all depends upon the situation. But it's when... It, it's just being inspirational. And a lot of times, those are my, my
1: favorite ones. It's when two things come together to sound like one piece. Because of the inherent challenge of that. I mean, it's one thing for one artist to sort of be in tune with his own ideas and know his own personal patterns and where he can stray... while also staying in tune with the rest of the piece and the group, not necessarily derailing. But for two artists to do that simultaneously, they can do it separately, but then they also have a whole other thing to think of, and that is each other. And that they have to know that if they clash with the other person's ideas, then that's going to be a catastrophe right there on stage. And it's not that it doesn't happen. I mean, in jam bands, this kind of happens all the time, but then they skilled musicians can kind of gloss themselves right out of it. And the... Ultimate is when you get perfectly in tune with someone else's ideas, and that's the interpersonal band relationships uh, that really end up working. This is not to be confused with a moment in a record where saying vocalist is playing
0: an instrument and everything else drops out, which I guess can still be considered a feature or a solo in the broadest of senses. But, like, for example, the cliché that prevailed throughout the 90s and 2000s, where lead singer strumming on the guitar and singing while the whole band's playing and everything drops out except the singer and the guitar for emphasis and he's just singing into that mic while playing guitar
2: if he's just doing the same melody that was already present or will be in the future just present throughout it's not a solo
0: it's not a solo in the sense that he's soloing on the guitar but it is still a solo feature of just that instrument and the vocalist it's like yeah he's alone
2: that's not solo it's solo in the de- the mm. finite meaning of solo not as in musically solo you want to talk solo you start talking about while well, my guitar gently weeps that's
1: a freaking solo that's right one there. of my favorite solos actually um I do I do want to throw out some names here. We try to avoid playing the name game and just sort of sh- shouting out well, because things because it becomes at just informational. Of not even a genre, but I do think I do think th- I do think it's about time to maybe just just, just give our give give, give give our impression of what I of, of what and why we, we like something. And uh, as a piano player, of course, I go back to not that I don't listen to other solos, but you know, I am always interested in, from a from a learning perspective to what other pianists and, and, and keyboardists can do. You said it wrong. I purposely say it wrong so I don't hear flack, it's a little, uh, little rule thumb. Anywho, Raymond's Eric, The Doors. I mentioned it earlier on when I was uh, talking about Riders of the Storm and that was, um, related to, to the way in which the, the keyboardist and the bass was sort of born out of that particular, uh, opening, opening storm soundbite and how both could just fit the mood perfectly. And to me, Ray Manzarek is one of the absolute best keyboard soloists out there. He's the kind of person who not only did he find a a tone that was unique for the time, finding like a specific keyboard tone that people had never really heard before. They'd heard bits and pieces here and there. Billy Preston is another one. He's sort of in the same realm, but they both had two distinct styles. And because Ray Manzarek was so... Close with the feel of the doors and and Jim Morrison's sort of soft, gentle, poetic nature. Raymond Zarek chose a style that was catered that was catering to them, and that's the big challenge of the soloist: is that when the other instruments, when the other instrumentalists take a back seat, and especially when the vocalist, who is usually your your primary spotlighted feature, when he takes a back seat and you have the floor, then. This is not the chance to do, as what we said before, be masturbatory. Masturbatory is the kind of thing that would utterly fail in that situation, because then you'd be taking your tone away from the tone of the piece and the band. You need to make it fit that, and yet still be individualistic at the same exact time. And I recall specifically in Riders of the Storm, the outro there is one giant solo for Rayman Zarek where he just moves through the motions of the storm. You hear the soundbite playing in the background and it's all these little little inserts, little motives, little phrases here and there that create the pitter-patter of the rain. And it's all improvised. It's all this isolated solo that continues all to the outro of the piece. And the very end is him just doing these flowing rolls on chords. Rrn run run like the rain is splashing off the ground and finally coming to a close and you can hear the clouds parting to me it's one of the most brilliant moments in in keyboarding soloist history for me i mean john touched on one but i'm actually not going to go
0: that route uh while my guitar gently weeps well first of all george harrison is my favorite Beatle, and he does some of my favorite solo work but i'm actually not going to go with that guitarist i'm going to go with a different guitarist um it's no secret if you listen to the podcast my favorite rock band rock and roll band of all time is Queen because of their stunning vocalist but I actually want to feature their guitarist Brian May who's known very well and one of my favorite songs by them because I'm such a sci-fi fan and a action movie fan and just a 80s fan really princes of the universe that song when it first starts vocals punch and then you know it, it kicks in you know here we are the princes of the universe and then Brian May, when the guitar's cut, cut in, goes right into that solo as the drums are hitting hard, the bass is hitting hard, boom, boom, as he's wailing away on this guitar, but he's leading somewhere because the guitar work leads right into the actual verse guitar work that Brian May is building to. It's not this pointless, masturbatory solo that's not going anywhere. All of his solo work in 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 most if not all of queen's work was always building to something going somewhere it started small it built it up it gained steam and it really pushed the emotion of princes of the universe which is you know essentially about these about highlander and these you know people who cannot die these immortals who battle to the death and the song really conveyed that power that emotion and that strength
1: and since you mentioned that that's also the other thing is when a soloist sort of this is a whole nother, actually a whole nother purpose, not just necessarily creating an insert for the character they're in, but also by echoing the greater story of the song within the solo itself. Sort of, it's kind of like a little summation. Like the solo, just as what you were describing and how it has all these peaks and valleys and ebbs and flows, it, it sounds like it almost represents that of the track itself. That it, it pursues this, this story arc that is almost an exact replica, if not be it a bit more embellished replica of the arc of the track. And a lot of times, I find that that's the purpose that uh, that solo serve, which I also find equally brilliant. And then there
2: is Kansas. Kansas is, I think, I've convinced Steve at least a little bit one of the progenitors to like Prague sort of rock and
1: roll. I don't know progenitors, but they were of it. <laughs> they were of it. <laughs> they they kind of helped invent it. And yeah. they've,
2: they've done just, they're, 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 they've done so many amazing things. But one of my favorite songs by them, just one of the most famous songs they've ever done, Carry On My Wayward Son. Uh, it's a story that is just peppered around all the lyrical work with just everything a guitar can do, showcased. Every little bit of what, up until that point, a guitar was doing in music, whether it was, you know, fooling around with the slide stuff, fooling around with the, the bending of stuff, the fooling around with just feedback work, with just fooling with the chords themselves, it's showcased throughout that entire song. Everything the guitar was soloing was soloed in Carry On. It's one of the most interesting things because it was also able to integrate it with the story that was being built. It's it's was to me it, it's a perfect storm of what a solo can do on the masturbatory side of just showing off, and what it does on the the integration side, on the expansion side of what the song was doing. Anyway, it's one of my favorite songs. It's always it it it's always on my psych up list. It's always on my. I Want to Feel Better list. It's one of my favorite songs of all time. I, I, I think this is a really interesting, unique, and
0: and well-purposed placed. I don't know. There's a word in there that I want. Disco- um way to kind of sur- su- surmise? Or, surmise our discussion on guitar solos. Because it really shows a dichotomy between the different ways you can kind of purpose a guitar solo to really... Um, make a track bloom, truly bloom, and, and become more than it's just the sum of its parts, give it an emotional level that you might not have gotten without that solo, because it, it really draws you in and brings you along for the ride. Um, sum you know, up,
1: I think, is the word you were looking for, actually. Thanks. Um,
0: <laughs> the and, words. And, and I just, I really think that, that a good guitar, a good non-guitar solo, but a good solo in general is a connection point. It It doesn't matter how or where. Or why, but it's a connection point. It really is another level of the song that just the instruments together, just the lyrics, just the vocals can't achieve. It's that point entry point where you really get dug in deep, and you really get invested.
1: Yeah, I think that's actually a perfect way to sum it up.
0: Um, and I, I really think that some of the best ways it's done. And I think that's why wrapping it back around to our album review, those solos seem so soulless was because there it wasn't a connection point. Because it was so masturbatory in most cases, it was almost offensive to our auditory system because there was no connection point, it was just drama for the sake of drama, which humans by nature don't like, though they find themselves in. And I think that's really what turned off these songs it was creating something with
1: nothing that's true i, think, no I think that's actually an inherent issue that we have is drama for the sake of drama because in generally i mean in general our, our lives are complicated enough why would we want to over them with fluff that doesn't enrich, enrich us in some way so yeah i think that's, that's probably a, a an interesting uh psychological analysis as to why we, we are, we're we these these things deter us yeah um yeah i think that's actually a pretty interesting way to sum it up I um I must agree and then of course the fact that since we were talking about Solos period I lost my train of thought Never mind. okay um why
0: don't you take us then to our spam of the week talking about a train of thought
2: yeah <laughs> or like thereof off the rails crazy trade. I don't know
1: allegories I confused Steve I like the look on his face Never mind. I'm not sure where you're getting your information, but good topic. I needs to spend some time learning. Yeah, you do. Or understanding more. Thanks for excellent info. I was looking for this information for my mission. A mission from GAD? <laughs>
2: <laughs> Who that by? Thanks, Dan
1: hack, right? Uh, that was by Metal Slug Defense Android Hack. I love Metal Slug. I didn't even know it was on the Android.
2: It's a hack. Oh, That's why it's Android Hack. Yeah. probably gives you infinite lives, which is not the nature of Metal Slug. No, you're supposed to die a lot. You shouldn't <laughs> cheat in video games. Um, Why
0: don't you, uh, before I close this out, get into what we're doing next week.
2: Next week, we are getting an English duo by the name of Slow Club. These are Charles Watson and Rebecca Taylor. Um, Multi instrumentalists and vocalists, and their new album, Complete Surrender. They are. I've, I've listened to a tidbit. I was looking for something different, and I found, well, folk rock. Indie, which is not actually entirely rock, different, different, but. It's different from what we did today, at least. Yeah, and, and well, honestly, uh, there was something there that I hope shows up in our discussion. All right. Well, we'll save that for next week. I have hope on this one.
1: Wow, John has hope. Maybe Bright we'll hope. crush it. There's, it. Some, there's something there. Ooh, I like the sadism. Um, he's got he's a, he's got a sadist streak. I like it a little bit. Um, I am masoch- masochistic. I do, of
0: course, want to thank everyone for listening topic. as always. Thanks for sticking through, um, through our struggling to wrap up the album with not having the words to describe it. Um, as always, please check us out on the website crashcourse.com on iTunes. Both podcasts are now available on iTunes. Please like and subscribe. Um, Write a review. You can get us featured on iTunes if we get enough reviews and likes, stars, whatever. Do all these things. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Tumblr.
1: Do a a thing a minute.
0: Yeah, you could do a thing a minute. Um, They're on the right side of the page. Please also give us your suggestions. We're trying to keep it current and review the latest things that came out, talk about music today, but throw us your reviews, uh, your, uh, your ideas for us to review albums, um, either on the website, via email through the website, on the Facebook page, Twitter, any of them. Um, we're always looking for more content to talk about. Um, if you have a suggestion for a topic, throw that at us too. We'd love to hear what you think we should discuss about in the music industry or on the peripheral Of the music industry. Indeed. Um, And I wasn't going to bring this up, but I do want to bring it up here briefly. I want to dedicate this episode to one of the greatest comedians that ever lived, Robin Williams, who passed away today.
2: One of the greatest actors that ever lived, and one of the most influential people in my personal life. In
0: all
1: of our personal lives, I think it's safe to say. He
0: shaped a big part of our
1: generation's comedy, that's for sure.
0: Yeah. So, on that, slightly depressing, but also very loving note. Music is life and And life life is good. good.